Any, are we ready anytime? Yeah, anytime you're ready to go. <laughs> and we're back. I'm James. This is the Goose Fan Podcast. I'm Luke. I'm Mike. And I'm Brent. And I'm James. Hey, James. Ooh. It's almost uh, winter break. What are you going to do over winter break? Celebrate Christmas. Oh, well, that's good. Um, did we play basketball last night in the driveway? Yeah. Was it snowy? Yeah. Did you complain about it? No. That's a lie. Okay, now that we've established <laughs> this, who won? Me. So he, James says he won, but he already lied about complaining about the cold. So I don't know if you guys can believe him. Huh. What do you think? I thought you meant the complaining that there was snow. <laughs> I didn't know about the cold. Oh, I don't know. It was cold. Did, you were complaining. How did the, uh, <laughs> how did the uh, to go to oh, 60. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sounds fair. We went to 45. I went 45, 40. 45, 43. 40. It was 43 to 40 to 37, and then he went to three. James is getting very not credible on this pod. It's, it's sad. <laughs> You're dumb. Oh, we're Whoa. having strife here. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about anything else? Like you asking about his man. Oh God, this is ridiculous. I don't know if you guys heard this. We're sitting here, and you know, I'm trying to do the dad thing and not stick my hand up and block every shot. So I want to get that thought out there right now. <laughs> but he starts talking trash, and all of a sudden he drops. I'm winning, old man. Oh. <laughs> That's ridiculous. This is disrespectful. I know. <laughs> it's disrespectful. Anyway, got anything else? No? All right. Thanks for coming by. All right. Good seeing you, James. Did you get the way out the door? He called you old man. That's great. Oh, God. <laughs> he made a weight joke on the way out the door. Oh, well. It's a rough, it's rough. Man, what kind of kid are you raising over there, Mike? I know, it hurts. You're just going to have to take him down to the block and go 60-0 on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Go dream team on him. Go yep. dream team on him. Just just dunk in his face. Just show him, show him what's up. Man. All right. Well, today on the pod, we actually have a guest. Um, we have Colter Nuanas from Skyline Sports and uh, ESPN Radio in Missoula. And he is uh, getting ready to join us. We're going to put him on the spot, talk about all things Grizz, Lady Grizz hoops. Um, maybe break down the uh, schedule a little bit in football and – I can tell you one thing we're not going to talk about is the Packers. Um, so <laughs> just to, just to get the uh, get the show rolling. And uh, Coulter, Coulter's live with us. Coulter, welcome to the pod. What's up, guys? Okay, hold on. Full stop. Full stop. Is Coulter not a Viking? Coulter, you're a Vikings fan, are you not? Well, you know, Brent, <laughs> I was actually thinking about this. Uh, I've, I've gravitated away from fandom and pretty much every element. The only thing I got left is the Vikings. But in this current iteration, I just really don't know how I continue to be a fan of theirs. Wow. 
So uh, what, what are your thoughts on Dan Bailey? Well, here, here's my real thoughts. I think Dan Bailey's a hero because <laughs> Dan Bailey missed three kicks to make sure the Vikings missed the playoffs. You want to know what that means? <laughs> that Kirk Cousins doesn't get a contract extension, which then means I can be a fan of the Vikings again. Okay. I think you guys should extend. I think you guys should extend Cousins for like ten more years. Okay. I don't know why you would. Here, here, here's the thing: the Vikings have one of, if not the most talented pairs of receivers in the entire NFL. And if you combine the fact they got the best running back in the league, of course, Kirk Cousins is sometimes productive. It's ridiculous if they had any like Nuge. Tell me this: who's better, Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, believe it or not, poor Luke has had to hear this debate with some of our friends via text message. But Garoppolo is absolutely better than Kirk Cousins. Absolutely. It, it highlights the absurdity of what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were doing when they basically passed on Patrick Mahomes and everybody else in that draft class because they were going to sign Kirk Cousins in the next offseason. I mean, that was their plan. <laughs> yeah. it, it, that is absurd. So... <laughs> I told Brent we weren't going to talk about the NFL, and here we are talking about the no, NFL. No, no, no. You said, well, you, you said you we weren't going to talk about for the tomorrow. Packers. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about the Packers, except that this is Aaron Rodgers' last season in Green Bay. So False. Fake that news. Is, you know, it's, it's going to be it's going to, he's going to pull a Brett Favre and go to greener pastures. Except maybe yes. the red. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, Coulter, how goes it? Um, first and foremost... You want to tell our listeners uh, who who aren't crossovers with your uh, your uh, show, which I don't know who that would be. My mom. Yeah, Luke's mom. <laughs> um, what, what's going on in your life these days? Well, you know, uh, been doing a daily radio show based out of Missoula statewide, uh, SWX Montana. That uh, for about three and a half years, and my partner he decided that. He's over 2020. He's over pretty much all elements of this life. And uh, he sold his house. He sold all his worldly possessions. And he's hitting the road. He bought a truck and a trailer. And he's taking his three kids all under the age of eight on a cross-country road trip that they don't know when it starts or when it ends. And uh, so I am going to host the show myself, but not really. Uh, I'm basically going to have a variety of guest hosts uh, because you guys have both done so many reps now. You guys are both invited. Um, and shameless promotion. Mike's coming on tomorrow. Ooh, um, nice. The, the, uh, the what, what do you call it? The soft opening of Nuana's Now featuring Mike Nugent on a Tuesday. There you Riley go. Cor- Riley Corcoran was on today. So you got, you got big shoes to fill, but not really. Cause, but you've uh, got a... <laughs> You'll, you'll go you'll go way harder than him. Ryland's, Riley's a professional, but he doesn't want to upset anybody. I don't care. Um, so <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> outside of, you know, you picking up scrubs from the Grizz fan pod to fill in, who else do you have lined up? Oh, man. Uh, Coach Ty, Ty Gregorak coming on on Friday. Uh, Sean Rainey, SWX Montana, is going to make some appearances pretty regularly. Uh, ben Wyman, his former – I guess colleague who's now the uh, the main man in Montana running the anchor desk. He is uh, he's going to come on from time to time. But then I mean pretty much all the ex coaches you could ever imagine. I uh, we we've been planning this for a while. So 
I got a I got a long list. I think I got 39 guys on my list at this point, but it, it'll be good. Yeah. Both Bobcats, Grizzlies, uh, other or a combination of all of them. That's what's so funny is like Ty Gregorak, he got so uh, scrutinized for going from Montana to Montana State. He's not even close to the first person to blaze that path. There's been so many guys that have done it, including most most of the guys that were his mentors. So it wasn't that surprising when he did that to me. But regardless, uh, I got I got a lot of people lined up. It'll be a lot of fun. But I'm excited to have you tomorrow, Nuge. Well, I just want to know how awkward it's going to be for you to tell the other 38 people that they don't get the show. So <laughs> if you weren't such a successful uh, independent businessman, you'd be my number one prospect, but I can't do that to your wife and your kids. You know, if, journalists make $10 a, a year. <laughs> if this was a pod, if this was a video and not a podcast, you could see just how much Luke rolled his eyes when I made that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Coulter, Coulter, I need, Coulter, I need to do a one day ad buy if Mike can read the ad for me. Okay. So let's talk tomorrow morning. Oh, oh man. Oh, man. See, there oh, you go. Man. I'm selling ads already. We are, we are, we are, sold. We, we are off and running. <laughs> anyway enough about the show there just uh since you're nice enough to give us give us your time get you know want to give you the opportunity to give that plug um, well i gotta i gotta tell you guys this i love when stuff is brewing i haven't had anything brewing in like 10 months and <laughs> obviously no one's listening to this in real time but i am like 25 minutes late for this thing and that's because i had multiple things brewing right when this all went down so uh, I one thing's not a scoop. It's not anything uh, off the record, but I uh, I put out my third part of my uh, spring football, which we'll we'll get to it, but probably is not going to happen. But whatever, <laughs> finished the breakdown, posted that. But also, though, I got a little bit of uh, Grizz basketball news break about to break, and also maybe some Grizz football news too. So. Uh, Tease for later, but SkylineSportsMT.com. Ooh, look at nice that. push. Can you give us a hint, like in a riddle? <laughs> I'm not nearly as witty or creative as you guys. I got to write it down. <laughs> boy, oh boy. So <laughs> Luke and Brent and I were talking um, what we want to do on the, on the pod today. And, um, you know, obviously it's basketball season and it's so weird because, you know, we should have been having a month's worth of basketball games to watch, you know, yeah. um, and just not being able to drop into the Adams Center. And it's just, it depresses me if I talk about it too much, but it's just weird. But you actually got to cover their their game against the Sisters of the Poor this weekend, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, Yellowstone Christian College, which, by the way, if Montana or Montana State or both, ever play them again i'm absolutely writing a feature about this team and this school I, I, i'm gonna take a poll here what do you what do you guys think is the enrollment of yellowstone christian college i watched your show with riley today so i'm not going to answer this question uh, okay I'll, I'll say 2500 i'm gonna go lucas with, i'm gonna say 900 40 40 it's the basketball team then 40 they have 10 guys on the basketball team 40 that's it they have 40 kids in the whole school 10 of them are on the basketball team 
I was going to say we're the equivalent of 10% of their student body, the four of us on this pod right now. That, that's oh right. God. So, oh so, so it's a, it's a, it's a Bible college, a Jesuit Bible college that teaches young people to how to be missionaries. So of their 10 basketball players, not one was from the state of Montana. They're, they hailed from six states and then three international countries. They had guys from West Africa, Cameroon, the Ukraine. I was, I was blown away. When I'm looking at their roster before the game, I'm like, excuse me? But it also it, it helped them hang a little bit because they had a couple of dudes who were both like 6'9", who could at least try to you know combat Stedman and Bannon in the post. So regardless, I know we're going to get to the Grizz, but what a fascinating team. Guys from all over the world in Billings, oh. Montana – this was their seventh game of the season. They do it all by bus. It was their fourth game in five days. Like, unbelievable. They went from Haver to Missoula to Bozeman. Uh, excuse me, Haver to Dillon to Missoula to Bozeman, and then back to Billings in the span of five days. What a thing. It's incredible. It's incredible. So they're getting a feature story if they ever come back again. But, uh, no, to answer your question, though, Mike, um, it was – in terms of the game experience, I thought, like, watching the action for the Grizz, it was fun because it was like watching a practice but not against air and not against each other. Like, when the Grizz are going against each other, they know the tendencies, so they're always baiting the plays and they're making steals when they're not supposed to. But – um, and, and against air, you don't know how the action is supposed to look, but against an actual team, you got a little bit of a view of what their offense is. And I obviously know what it is from watching this, you know, seventh year of Travis DeCure, but watching it against not air, but humans was actually kind of fun, kind of fascinating. But in terms of like the fan experience, in terms of like the energy in the arena and stuff, man. It was brutal. It, 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 it's 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 like eerie. It's like it's it's beyond weird. It, it, honestly, there was like less energy in the arena than even just going to a podcast or a practice. So um, I don't know, man. I, I guess it sucks that we can't all be there. But until we all can be there, I think that it's kind of one of those like wait and see because it's not the same experience. Do you think that this is going to like affect teams like the final product of of any team differently than other teams? Like are, are more are some teams reliant on on fan energy and crowd energy more than you know more than another team, I guess. Man, that's such a good question, especially when it comes to the Big Sky Conference. Um, I know we're probably gonna get to the Lady Grays, but We've talked about the Lady Grizz a lot on this pod, at least in my one and only uh, appearance. But the Lady Grizz look to be revitalized. They look to have some confidence back. But when you talk about the disparity between home court advantage amongst the best teams in the big sky on the women's side, I mean, I think we can say at this point the, the Shannon Swain era for Montana was objectively very poor. We also see how strong the foundation of the Lady Grizz program is right now with the fact that I know, I know they're only one and two, but they've looked objectively just so much better to me. But even during the struggles of Shannon's tenure at Montana, they, Montana 
had a very, very, very high win percentage against the best teams in the league. I mean, I remember yeah. Jace Henderson's senior year two years ago, they beat the top four teams in the league standings at home. And that, that amounted to about half, maybe even a little bit more than half of their conference victories. And so we talk about the Lady Grizz being one of the top 30 teams in the country in attendance for women's basketball compared to Northern Arizona, which finished only one spot below Montana in the standings a year ago, averaging 238 fans last year. That, that's a real number, 238 fans. You're talking about a disparity of 3,500 fans on average. And, I mean, the magic of Dahlberg Arena, particularly with the Lady Grizz fans, is very, very, very real. So I think it affects them the most. I think that the, the men are – I don't know. I don't know how to – I don't really know how to discern it because I think that they're going to have a chance to get more used to it just given their schedule. But I, I, I don't know. I think that the, uh, the Lady Grizz are certainly the answer in terms of the teams that are affected the most. But, I mean, Montana State, particularly on the women's side as well, they get really good crowds too. Uh, but as far as the home court advantage winning you games, I, I think that some – I mean, I think that sometimes – and this has been something that's been so fascinating to watch, especially from somebody that's covered the Grizz. The, the – how hard it is to play in Missoula, it has – it's still hard to play in Missoula, but there's a lot of teams in a lot of sports that relish the opportunity to play in Missoula too. Like they get energy off of it. Like especially teams that have coaches that really embrace that element, like Portland State in football or even Southern Utah in basketball, like they're – Eastern Washington in basketball, they're up for the Montana game. Like it's not detrimental to them. And that's the same on the women's side, particularly when it comes to Idaho. But a lot of teams on the women's side, especially Lady Grizz side, they seem to fold a little bit more in Missoula. So, I don't know. I think it's, it is more impactful on the women's side. Interesting. Um, Luke, I think that's just – it's such an interesting thought because I just think as an athlete, obviously, <clears throat> I never played sports at a level where you really fed off the fans. Um in any meaningful way, but I have to think that it makes motivation harder. Like I know that athletes can sit and say like, no, you're professional, you prepare for the game. Da, 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 da. Um, but I just, I, I've got to think that's got to be so hard. I would love to know if like freshmen, you know, we've seen, you know, for the, the men's Grizz team, we've seen quite a few freshmen take the court. And, like, mm -hmm. It's easier for them because they don't have, you know, a few thousand people watching them launch three or something. If it just feels a little bit more like uh, more intimate and almost secretive, uh, even if cameras are on. Man, that's that's such a good point. I think it's a, a dichotomy, right? Because on one hand, I think it's probably easier for them to acclimate initially. But on the other hand, then the coaching staff doesn't get the, the affirmation to the kids of what they sold them. That's going to be the most fascinating part if we have football with no fans, right? Like I've talked to Travis Takir, head coach for Montana men's basketball multiple times about this. And he's like, I'm like, how's it going, man? And he's like, well, I mean, you imagine bringing in nine newcomers, all of whom are not from Montana and you sell them on the vision of what Montana is. And the number one thing they buy is the community, how engaged we are and the fan base and what it's like to play at home. 
And then all of a sudden, these guys can't leave their apartments. They can't go downtown. They can't go out to eat. They can't hang out with each other. But then they also have to play in front of an empty arena. They don't even get a home game until they've already lost four straight, including two, you know, money games at Power Fives. <laughs> like Travis was saying, like, it's a tough hill to sled, man. Like, you sold these kids on all these things. And, like, it's not that they think you're a liar, but they don't believe you yet. They haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. And on the men's side, you know, it's like you got guys like Stedman. I guess he redshirted last year. He had to sit out last year, so he saw the fans. But it's like you've got people who might play for one year and have this. I mean, they might never experience it. For sure. For sure. And, and that's that's the bummer because I think that's why people come to Montana. I mean, above all else, so you could talk about all the different things. But the number one, the, the, the two things that you can sell kids are – support and facilities and Montana has both of those things. And I think that's why they've had such a long run of success. Coulter, have you heard if the teams are doing anything special in terms of, you know, COVID team bubble, sort of unofficial bubble isolation stuff? Oh man, that's such an interesting question too. Um, Lucas, how old are you? I am 36 years old. So you're okay. So you're like a, a couple years older than me, but like same age group as all of us. Okay. So yeah, in fact, I, I remember playing against you in intramural basketball, Coulter. For oh, those, buddy. For those Which... of you who never played against Coulter, he plays bigger than he actually is in, in, in height. Movable. <laughs> like you put a shoulder into him and he ain't going anywhere. You block your shot. That's because I went to Big Sky, man. I had to play center, even though I'm six foot and three quarters of an inch. Yeah. That, no, thank, thank you for saying that. No, but I guess why I was asking that, though, because I think that, like, the college culture that we all grew up in where you live in the dorms, you dabble for a semester or maybe a year, and then you move out unless you're an RA like Nuge. But either way, you like Luke was, <laughs> like Luke too. But, but regardless, no. But but, but kind of the, the the standard is like, oh, we're we're looking to move off campus. That's not necessarily the case for the student athletes now. They like pretty much the most that they move up, especially the out of state guys. When you're talking about basketball, which is all of them pretty much, they most of them live in like married student housing, like the Lewis and Clark Village, and mm -hmm. so it's it's largely like dorm life too. And so it's like. These guys were all isolated together. There, there's been uh, COVID issues, I'll say, at both Montana and Montana State pretty prevalently. So rather than being in a, a strict bubble, these guys have just been pretty much encouraged to live like that, uh, you know, live with, live with caution. But they've also had pretty stringent um, rules. I mean, with the way it goes with college athletics and the way you have to quarantine for so many days, even if you're a close contact, most of these guys have been by and large pretty out of the public for a really long time. So as long as it doesn't get in the locker room, we're good. Well, I mean, if you're talking about the COVID, that's already been in the locker room. Well, I don't <laughs> think we know how to go into that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, Coulter, lightly here for sure. <laughs> Coulter, uh, so like as Grizz fans with the back-to-back -back losses to Southern Utah, should we be freaking out or not? Well, 
Uh, let's start with the most basic way of addressing that. Uh, in college basketball, particularly mid-major basketball, senior guards always win, period. It's, even in this era of one-and-done, I mean, we've seen some one-and-dones make good runs of the Final Four and the NCAA Championship, but by and large, even in the one-and-done era, two-thirds of the teams that make the Final Four or – go to the championship or win the championship are led by veteran and most oftentimes senior guards. And uh, Southern Utah has two of the best. I mean, Dre Marine, I think is the most underrated player in the big sky conference. He started a hundred games in a row at Southern Utah, probably more like 102 at this point since they played a few since Montana. And uh, I mean, he was the first program guy Todd Simon recruited to Southern Utah. And then John Knight the third, I mean, I think he's one of the most talented athletic guys in the league you know i mean he started at utah state the season that utah state was an eight seed in the NCAA tournament and then he fell out of favor there and transferred to southern utah but i mean he's big strong explosive athletic and you talk about that going against a grizz backcourt which is completely in flux even the returners that they have are only sophomores but most of the guys are new to the program whether they're freshmen or transfers and there's no real cohesion there. They didn't understand the rotations. But more than anything, though, twofold. One, I picked Southern Utah to finish second in the league, behind Eastern Washington and ahead of Montana. Mm. That's not the way I voted. You know, we, we vote for the regular season, not the tournament. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about what I think the tournament's going to be, I'm taking Travis DeKir all day long, like period. Point blank gotcha. period. You can talk about the criticisms of the program and, and the longer guys at a school, you can, you can fabricate some or whatever. But at the end of the day, Travis Secure is the best coach in the Big Sky Conference on a neutral court, getting his team ready for a matchup, both schematically and in terms of their passion. He's the dude for sure. No question about it. And I think that he, I mean, I'll always, until proven otherwise, I'll always pick Travis to win in the tournament. But in terms of what I thought the regular season would play out, I voted Eastern Washington one, Southern Utah two, Montana three. And that's just because Southern Utah has largely changed their recruiting model. I mean, Todd Simon, he came from Finley Prep by way of UNLV. He ran uh, pretty much the most transfer-intensive program in the league. He stacked up a bunch of pretty quality transfers. But in the meantime, he was recruiting and developing four-year guys, particularly from the state of Utah and particularly from Northern Arizona. Both those places have really good high school basketball. And so that's where you get guys like Mason Fawcett, who is from Silver Springs, Utah, who was the big guy player of the week after they played Montana. That's where you get guys like Dre Marine, who was from Glendale Prep in Arizona, who was a really good player, state champion there. But then you splice them in with guys like Tavion Jones, who was a transfer from Illinois, who was the big guy player of the week for the second week in a row. Uh, and then you have guys like Harrison Butler, who's one of the better energy guys in the league. I mean, there are, you know, Ivan Madunovic, who was their seven footer, who, who had to sit out last year because of an injury. But I mean, they, they're, they have a pretty good team. Like they have a lot of returners as well as some pretty talented newcomers. And the thing about Southern Utah, I mean, this is the Achilles heel of their program is when the lights are the brightest, they rise to the occasion. I think most teams would wish that that was the case for them. A lot of teams, it's the opposite for them. But Southern Utah's the other on the other side of the coin. They're the ones that fold and lose games that they shouldn't lose too, because they have so many uh, guys that maybe think they're superior to the league that don't take games seriously. So 
as far as the rest of the season goes, like if Southern Utah comes in the tournament, say they're like 15 and five or something, say we get all 20 big sky games done and they win 15 games and lose five. If their losses are to the Idaho and Idaho States and, and uh, you know, even the, the um, Portland States of the world, it wouldn't surprise me. And if their wins are over Montana and Eastern Washington, Northern Colorado, wouldn't surprise me either. That's kind of how Southern Utah rolls. So it sounds like we shouldn't be freaking out too much. No, don't be freaking out because Travis DeCure's – here's the thing you got to uh, – uh, Travis's uh, way of operating is so consistent. And he – I give him – this is the, the one of the best compliments I could give him. He has enough courage and enough belief in the way that he operates this thing that he is doing exactly what would be done in the spot. Like USC would have been his maroon silver scrimmage. So the Utah round one would have been his first exhibition game. So the Utah mm-hmm. round two would have been his second exhibition game. Georgia would have been his conference opener at home, probably against some, uh, you know, division two or winnable game. And then the game the other night against Yellowstone Christian College, or I guess the other day, would have been his, you know, first power five game. He's just he's he's obeying the process. I mean, he always challenges guys. I mean, here's the thing. He started all nine guys that are part of that are prospectively part of his potential rotation. He started every single one of those guys in the first three games. Right, right. Yeah. So you so you got five dudes who've never started a game in their lives for the Grizz. And you have four different starting lineups in the first four games. He's doing it just like you would do it in a scrimmage or against a you know frontier conference team, but he just has the courage to do it against power fives and in your conference opener. Now, I mean, you could say, is that smart? Maybe you adjust that. I don't know, but he definitely believes in the process. And I think that I mean, here's the thing: you guys all watched it against Southern Utah. The Montana did not play well. They had multiple different errors. They had multiple different weak spots you can point to. But at the end of the day, if they get three offensive rebounds, they are, they're two and zero in Big Sky Conference play, and mm-hmm. and the whole narrative is completely different. That's a good point. That's a good point. So do you do you think though, like so? Because from here on out until we get into more conference play, it's like it's a handful of these guaranteed money games, if you will, where we're probably going to get rolled pretty good, right? Don't we have a handful of those coming up? And where it's like, do you think that's going to? I mean, obviously, it doesn't seem like it's going to interrupt the process, but get into conference play we're probably not gonna have any more wins under our belt are we well no but i mean that's honestly been kind of commonplace anyways i think the grizz have only had one winning record going into conference play under the cure most of the time it is a losing record but regardless just two non-conference games left they're at washington on wednesday and uw's down uw's only one and four they've had some bye games and they've lost them um, I mean, they've kind of been down since the whole Lorenzo Romar fiasco. We could do a whole podcast about that because, I mean, I used to have Husky season tickets, and I, I thought that program was as good as it gets, and they completely screwed the pooch by getting rid of Romar. But regardless, um, it's a place that Montana always plays well. Travis always wants to perform well in his hometown. And, uh, I mean, I'm not saying the Grizz are going to win, but they'll be in the mix on Wednesday for sure. And then the Grizz play at Arizona, which is another program that was perennially one of the greatest in the entire country that has somehow fallen on hard times. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Grizz are in an uphill battle against both these teams, but they're trying to get everybody healthy. I mean, Derek Carter-Hollinger has been out with an injury. Uh, They've been trying to figure out the rotation. Robbie Beasley, their stud freshman, has been out with an injury as well. So they're just trying to gear up for that uh, early January doubleheader against Northern Colorado. 
But, I mean, I do think that Washington and Arizona are going to be interesting games. I, I, here's the thing. I know they won by 60 on Saturday, but I thought they figured some stuff out, particularly when it comes to their rotation. And I think that'll be a key, just letting guys play with each other and, and just kind of learning how each other play. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm just going to say this. I hope they figured some stuff out because you said Travis was consistent. And what I saw was that they were consistently shitty in the last few minutes of both the game on Thursday and the game on Saturday yeah. in ways that I actually think <laughs> were not justifiable. Are, are um, you glad, aren't you excited to have Mike on tomorrow? <laughs> I am so excited, dude. If he goes hard like this, this would be great, dude. Corkin does nothing but toe the company line. I need somebody to go hard with me. Don't this, are you, are you going to be live Travis. on the air? I love oh, Travis as a coach. If this is Dude. live on the radio and Mike drops a shit, I'm, Mike says shit on live on radio, I'll triple my advertising dollars. Let's go. Let's go. Well, no, How no many one professional can... settings have you been in with me and I've never dropped an inappropriate <laughs> profanity? None. None. Well, exactly. Well, no, no, one, no one can top the live F-bomb that Philadelphia Eagles linebacker and former Montana State Bobcat Alex Singleton dropped on my show. We asked him, so he played for the Calgary Stampeders uh, for Dave Dickinson for three years, right? And he was the CFL MVP. That's how he got his shot in the NFL. But him and Dave used to have a big Cat Grizz bet every year. And the, uh, the year that Singleton won the Grey Cup MVP was the year of uh, – the goal line fumble 2018 and so singleton shows up to the meeting and and dickinson you know him and dickinson are going back and forth but singleton is telling this story on my radio show as the retrospective of telling this story to dave but he's telling it to bobby halk and singleton drops a completely unfiltered unabashed f-bomb middle of live radio and it wasn't a pre-record where we could bleep it out it wasn't like we knew it was coming straight up f-bomb only f-bomb that's ever made it onto the uh the esp at 1029 espn azura <laughs> so i won't drop i won't drop the f-bomb but this isn't about me so don't get me wrong travis is a great coach i want him like don't i but i was frustrated and you sure. know luke will sit here and acknowledge that when I talk about basketball, it's kind of pathetic because I don't know that much about basketball. I just get all worked sure. up. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, they were winning. Like the total, like if you combine those two games, what is it? I mean, how many? How they many lost by two. They lost by two. And how many, what percentage of the minutes in those two games were they, were they leading? It, it had to have been like nine. Well, so, so stretch, I, I, got, yeah. I, I got, I got your exact stat for you. They led, they led for the last 23 minutes, except for the last 50 seconds of the first game. And they led for the last 22 minutes, except for the last 48 seconds of the last game. So they led for 55 consecutive minutes and didn't lead for one minute and 30 seconds of the two games. So in the second half, that is Mike, I would say that the stats Coulter just ran out might be encouraging in the context that, um, you know, we are still trying to figure out the lineup and we are recovering from injuries mm -hmm. a little bit. And so after, after Travis gets his rotations down and we have everyone playing full bore, maybe we beat the team that Coulter picked second in the, in the conference yeah well 
don't get me wrong about Coulter picking them second. That's a whole nother conversation that we should probably pick apart. But we definitely, you know, the, the crack uh, social media team at the Grizz Fan Pod definitely took note and saved the Southern Utah men's basketball Twitter uh, posts. Oh, boy. How about to be, that? To be revisited down the road. They are dancing. They're dancing all over it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's great for the big sky, man. I like that edge. I wish that we had that edge. And no doubt. No doubt. But, Nuge, to answer your question, though, like, again, you can go back. There, there is, there, within the, the moment, there's a lot to criticize about the first five games of this season, I thought Montana looked utterly unready against Georgia last Tuesday. Um, I mean, during the headlights, like they were throwing the ball out of bounds. Like you can talk about new players, new rotations, coronavirus injuries, whatever. Everybody in the country is going through the exact same thing. They objectively looked soft. They did not look ready. I mean, you can analyze the last couple minutes against Southern Utah too. But at the end of the day, here's the thing is that, Travis is so consistent in how he operates Mm -hmm. and these dudes just aren't used to it. When you're getting your face ripped off against Montana tech, that's a completely different thing that when, when he's doing exactly what he does all the time against Southern Utah and like, it just takes a minute to get used to it. And I think that the team that he has right now, they're not so used to it because it's not only that they've only played a couple games together, but they didn't get the same practice time. They didn't get the same open gym time. And again, everybody has the same excuses, but when you're getting ready to play for a coach like Travis, you have to know how to respond. And it's, it's hard to do if you're not ready for it. And so I, again, I'm not trying to make excuses for the Grizz. I honestly, like after the Georgia game, I went as hard at them as I, as I ever have. I think they got to be re- more ready to play. I think no matter what the rotation is, you got to be trying to uh, – you have to be competitive. You cannot sit there and be passive and not be ready to go. Like if you're Michael Stemmen, you got to put your ass into somebody and post up. Like you can't just – if you're one of the guards, you can't just be throwing the ball out of bounds. But regardless of that, like I, I do think it's an acclimation period. They're still getting rid of the way get, – getting used to the way Travis coaches. Walter, I mean, it would be fair, right, to say, like, especially you look at how a team in, in a pandemic year, like, it's it's tough for this team with the amount of new guys they're putting together. When you look at the last year's team or especially two years ago team where you had guys that had played together on the same team for years, they probably could have come into this knowing what Travis wanted and be able to probably out the gate play a little bit better earlier, right? For sure, and and here's a, a a fascinating part about the Grizz program to me, and I don't really know the answer to the why, but the way Travis coaches is is he challenges guys. I mean, he goes at you. He when you do something wrong, he wants to address it and and be very very stern with you, and then challenge you to be better. And that personality has been so clear. The, the personality mesh between him and some of his players has been so clear. I mean, you look at Ahmad Rory, Michael Ogine, uh, even Bobby Mora to a certain extent, certainly Saeed Pridget. I mean, last year's Grizz team, every single time they turned the corner within a game, when they were playing downtrodden or, or were not in the flow, Travis would call a timeout. He would freak out on Saeed. Saeed would then use it, channel it, and respond, and then get everybody else to respond. And that was the whole narrative of the Grizz season was – 
most of the dudes on the team weren't used to Travis's style of coaching and they weren't used to Saeed's stern form of leadership. But then once they got used to it, everybody started responding. But the thing that's so interesting about this team, and maybe it's just uh, uh, the, the, uh, a byproduct of the pandemic, maybe it's just a byproduct of so much overturn on the roster, but most of the guys on this team aren't used to that. They're not used to what Travis brings, and they're also not used to – well, first, I mean, they don't have a leader. They don't have a Saeed to turn to. I, I think Kyle Owens could be the leader of this team if he embraces it, but that's going to be, uh, I think, a little bit more of a long process than most years. But I, just, I, I feel like that most of the guys aren't used to how hard Travis is as a coach. It takes getting used to, but also – it's just interesting to me from a personality analysis. It seems like a lot of the guys on the team, which I think all the guys on this team, which I don't know very well, but I, I do like all of the guys on this team, but there isn't that. I mean, Saeed Pridget's a dog. Like when you talk to him, you know, like he loves to be challenged. He's competitive at all times. Like he wants you to come at him. It's the same thing with Ahmad Rory. Like Ahmad Rory is so cold all the time. Like he wants, he wants somebody to come at him. And I just, I don't know if that guy has, or I don't know if this team has that guy. But we'll see. It's going to be such a a learning process, I think. Coulter, I want to revisit something you said earlier um, with respect to this team. You you mentioned that there's a saying that like senior guards win the sky um, or mid-majors. And I think this axiom definitely stands the test of time. Um, While we don't have any real like Ahmad Rory like, you know, guards, on this team, I'm actually concerned we're not big enough or we don't play big enough anyway. Hmm. Interesting. I've, I've noticed we've lost the rebound battle um, in all in all the games, you know, except for the Yellowstone Christian game. Sure. We're getting crushed on second chance points. Do you think that that's kind of an aberration um, or do you think that that's actually concerning uh, at all? Oh man. So we got to go real deep into the, the nuances of the game on this one, because Montana is plenty big enough to rebound. In fact, their front line, if they keep rolling with Kyle Owens, Josh Bannon and Michael Stedman will be the biggest front line in the big sky conference. And one of the biggest in the entire uh, West coast. I mean, you got Stedman six eleven, Bannon six, nine and, and, Owens is 6'9", as your three. I mean, Owens had 13 rebounds on Saturday. I know it's against YCC, but uh, they, the, the front court guys can rebound. Here's, here's the definitive weakness that opponents have predicted and then been affirmed in Montana's first five games is the fact that they have a bunch of young, inexperienced, and so, in some cases, freshman guards. So teams have – use a, a rebounding strategy of sending the, the guards to the offensive glass. I, I posted this on Idris and somebody was coming at me saying, it doesn't make any sense. Your, your theory doesn't make any sense because Dre Marine only had one offensive rebound in the Southern Utah series. That's not the point. When teams send offensive, gu- they send their guards to the offensive glass. It changes the rebounding scheme. I, I think the common fan doesn't understand that, College basketball teams have rebounding schemes. How many guys are we going to send the glass on offense? How many guys are we going to send the glass on defense? Who's responsible for being the main rebounder? Who's going to clear the ball? All those things. Well, I know for a fact that uh, Southern Utah and Georgia sent their guards to the offensive glass because they knew 
that guys like Brandon Whitney, I mean, I'm not trying to call kids out, but like if you've never played college basketball before, you don't understand this stuff is at, at a, that high of a level. And you're also probably pretty physically immature. So you look at that Southern Utah series, I think John Knight ended up with six offensive rebounds in the two games. Those two guards, I think they ended up with like 30 plus rebounds over the two games as well. Even if it wasn't offensive rebounds, they're using their guards as rebounders as part of the scheme. And Georgia did the same thing too. And that's just purely exploiting the young guys on Montana. I mean, Travis has said it in his post game with Riley in every single game. He said, Hey, we just got to keep telling these young guys, this is what block out means. This is what it means to find your man. And so, you know, it's not an effort thing. It, all it is is an inner experience thing. So it's not necessarily a, uh, it's not, it's not a product of not being big enough or not being strong enough or not having enough posts. It's actually the other side of it. It's the guards not knowing how to rebound at a high level. And that's the thing. When you talk about the evolution of this program, Montana had one of the biggest event. Here's the common fan doesn't, doesn't take enough into rebounding, rebounding or extra possessions, rebounding equals stops or second chances. The, the number one way that Montana beat opponents during their last two NCAA tournament runs was their rebounding, not out of the post, but out of the wing and out of the guard spots. I mean, we were talking about Michael Ogini as one of the top rebounders in the entire Big Sky Conference. That's a gigantic advantage. You talk about Bobby Moorhead being a 6'8 guy who plays basically the three, and he's getting, you know, six and a half, seven rebounds a game. Jamara Coe and some of the other big guys, I mean, Fabian Krizlovich, those guys were not – those guys' rebounding numbers were never surpassing Ogini or Moorheads, and that was the biggest advantage the Grizz had. Hey, thanks, Colter. That was an awesome answer. <clears throat> so, Colter, like looking at the rest of the, the landscape of the men's side of the big sky, anything stand out to you? Like, like so far, is it what we expect? I know it's early, but – any surprises like teams that are playing better than you expected or worse? Well, the last time I checked, and as I give you this response, I'm checking again. But the last time I checked, the only non-conference win by a Big Sky Conference men's basketball team was Montana State's win on opening night at UNLV. So we haven't had another Division One win by a Big Sky Conference team Period. The Grizz were in that boat for sure. Um, and let me scroll through it just really quickly here. Uh, yeah, nope. Looks like there's still <laughs> still, no, still none. So, so we're staring we're staring down the barrel of another 15 or 16 seed, huh? Oh man, I know, and that's the that's the most depressing part. And like, oh man, we could do a whole podcast about this evolution too, because the Big Sky teams they need to play money games to be able to have sustainable programs. But those money games are so often not that winnable, and they can't get teams to come to them, particularly the Montana schools and, and Weaver State. They really can't get teams to come there. And the disappearance of those home and homes has really robbed uh, the entire league of uh, some non-conference wins. And that, and that hurts your RPI so bad, too. I mean, there was a – I think it was – well, I, I know it was, in fact. It was uh, Tyler Hall's senior year at Montana State. So that would have been Ahmad Rory, Michael Ogine's senior year at Montana as well. They 
the the Big Sky, I think, had a close to, if not slightly above 500 record in the non-conference play. There was a lot of good wins. But also, they, a lot of the schools invested money because they knew they had pretty good teams that people would want to come see. And I thought that was going to then result in a great seed for the Grizz. And that Grizz team, they went 14-4 and four in conference. And I swear, man, if they would have went 16-2, and two, it would have been the difference between a 14 and a 12. And it would have been the difference for the league, too. Maybe breaking their their uh, drought in the NCAA tournament. But as far as, I mean, my look around the rest of the league, you can't judge it based on what's going on right now because basically every single team in the league, because you only got five non-conference games, they're either playing not even NAIA schools. <laughs> like what? Oh, Gilson my gosh, Chris. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Gilson <laughs> Chris. I mean, uh, Weaver State played St. Catherine. I don't even know what that is, Ooh. you know. Like they're playing Bible. Weaver State's home schedule has been St. Catherine and Westminster, you know. Like Portland State's only home game was against – Northwestern University, which is in uh, somewhere in Washington. I mean, if I don't know where these places are, that that means they're pretty, pretty, pretty obscure. And so it's been one side or the other, right? Like it's been Big Sky versus the Pac-12 or maybe, you know, a couple by games against uh, Mountain West. Like Northern Arizona lost 91-52 at Colorado State tonight. But mostly it's just been, you know, Idaho plays against Gonzaga tonight. Or I guess that game actually got canceled. They were supposed to play against Gonzaga tonight. But it, it's one side of the corner or the other. There's been really no like opponents, and that's been pretty frustrating. So I've just been trying to analyze the teams based on, uh, you know, just an internal level. The Grizz were really frustrating the first couple weeks of the year, but I do think that they will turn the corner, uh, especially because of, you know, some of the things they figured out on Saturday with their rotation. I think the Cats are, are pretty darn talented. I think Danny Sprinkle's done a really good job of remaking that thing. Uh, on Saturday, you know, or on Sunday, excuse me, I got a lot of texts saying, ha-ha, you know, the Grizz only gave up 42 to Yellowstone Christian, and, and uh, the Cats gave up 40 in the first half, let alone 74. Well, a couple factors on that note. First of all, the, the Cats didn't have a game between December 2nd and December 18th besides this YCC game. So wow. Sprinkle decided to basically turn this into their training camp. He ran them to death. He told us that in a Zoom on Thursday. He said, hey, my guys, I want them to be tired. I want them to look tired, and I want them to respond when they're tired. Well, they looked tired on Saturday, and they had a hard time picking up. And Yellowstone Christian hit eight threes in the first ten minutes of the game, and all of a sudden they're in it. But the Cats still were up 15 at halftime, and they ended up winning by 40. So that's – I mean – here nor there, but they were also without Xavier Bishop, their senior point guard, and Amin Adamu, uh, their junior two guard. But I think that they're going to be – here's the thing that the Cavs got going on more than almost any team in the league. They look different than every team in the league. Sprinkles put together a team that's not like a West Coast team. They're not, a, they're not like a big sky looking team. Southern Utah has like those hyperactive athletes that Montana's become accustomed to. They're not as skilled. They're not as disciplined but they kind of look like Grizz light. Portland State has this West Coast athletic pressing team. Uh, Sac State, you know, they, they look like they're kind of the big team that you could build when you have that recruiting base there. Weber State is what they are. You know, they've always had the tremendous guards and the great program. Montana State doesn't look like any of that. They have guys from all over the world, guys from Germany, Spain, England, uh, Norway, and then all over the United States, too. And so they just look like a completely different team. Sprinkles put his stamp on that. But, you know, so Utah is obviously um, 
had more success than anybody so far just because they've been able to get a couple of those D2s at home, and then they also have Montana, the two wins there, so they have more wins than anybody in the league. Portland State's fascinating because they pretty much had a mass exodus, whether it was because of graduation or the pandemic, but they had zero. I've never seen this before in my life. Looking at the preseason prospectus, they had zero count them zero returning starters coming in this year i think they added 12 guys to their roster they lost holland woods he transferred to arizona state as a grad transfer so uh they are a completely and utterly new look and then northern colorado i think they have a ton of question marks too because they lose jonah radabaugh and they have a brand new head coach jeff linder went to wyoming and uh Steve Smiley's in his first year as a head coach. So as far as the, the, the usual suspects, as they would say, uh, still, still so much uncertainty for sure. But the big say, Oh, and I got to mention Eastern Washington, I mean, Eastern Washington, their the story of their whole season has just been missed opportunities. They, they had Washington state by the balls and they blew it and they lost by three and they were in the game at Arizona but then Arizona took control. You can't say they blew that one. Arizona took control last eight minutes of that one and won that game. But those are two three-point Pac-12 losses for Eastern Washington. And I think that bodes well. I have a question for you guys. Oh. Montana has shown no fear in scheduling Power 5 opponents under Travis DeCure. They've they played 23 Power 5s to date, and they'll play two more before this non-conference is over. They're 1-22, excuse me, in those games, and they're scoring 59.5 points per game in those games. Over the last three years, they're only averaging 51 points per game against Power Fives. Every time you guys watch Montana play a Power Five, they hang with them athletically by and large. Usually it's a bad start or a middle stretch, but either way, they almost always hold the Power Five under 40% field goal. It's almost always a respectable margin of victory, you know, 12 points or less but they can't seem to break through. And to me, it's because they can't shoot. They, they have not been able to find a way to shoot the three prolifically against those power fives. Mr. Washington, they put pressure on these teams by hitting threes. And it's it just, it seems to me that Montana, they're trying to compete on a power five level with power five teams. And if you do that, you can for like 35 minutes, but that's the difference. It's the five minutes that you can't. What's your question, Colter? So, what's the question? <laughs> well, the, what's the what's the question? Is, well, I have an is, answer. Well, my, I mean, I, which it, it one of seems, us? Is, it seems like Montana's strategy when it goes to Power Fives is flawed. So, I mean, is shooting the missing element for Montana when it goes against the bigger school? Yes, and the question back to you is: Is recruiting pure shooters Travis's weakness? Mm. Man, man, I I I had to have a thought moment. Um, I can't, I'm trying to remember who it was that asked me this. Somebody, somebody that would that had uh, had validity in asking this asked me, "Could Travis score the ball when he was a player?" And I thought to myself, "I never thought of that." Travis Secure is the all-time leader in assists in the University of Montana history. He's one of the most pure point guards the Grizz have ever seen, but he's never prioritized scoring and i i wonder like his system is so for lack of a better word systematic it really is and there but that and that's why the process works so well because when it comes to the end of the season their execution on both offense and defense is almost always completely flawless but does that leave you short 
right? Does that leave you short when you need to hit a corner three against Michigan? Does that leave you short when you're down two at Washington with a minute and a half left? I don't know. It's the most fascinating part of the Grizz program to me. How haven't they been able to, to just get a couple knockdown shooters? Kendall Manuel was that guy, but they, they basically didn't recruit him out of high school and he had to go to Oregon state before he got a chance with the Grizz. It is fascinating that they haven't been able to really recruit shooters. Well, here, here's some uh, dynamic of this uh, phenomenon that I think might be true is that shooting is like a, such a ridiculously difficult skill to develop that I wonder if it's really hard to recruit great shooters out of high school to the Big Sky Conference. Like Kendall Manuel didn't go to the Big Sky right out of, right out of high school. No, 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 no. Because you watch Northern Colorado and they got five dudes who do literally nothing but stand in the corner and knock down threes. But, I mean, but they're flawed in other ways. But yeah, like- They are absolutely flawed in other ways, but this is where it comes down to math. And this is the number one thing that I think is the criticism of the Grizz program. Travis is obsessed with guys that can play defense, and that's what you should have. I mean, it's what's going to sell in Montana, and it's what the Grizz program's always been about. But guess what? If you got a dude who gets stops on dribble drives all day long and he scores you, you know, six to eight points a game, a la Bobby Moorhead, but the other <laughs> dude, the, the dude on Northern Colorado who literally can't guard anybody, he can't dribble, he can't do anything. But then because of the scouting report, he hits four or five threes in the conference game. Guess what? You won the plus minus, even if that guy's yeah. been taking the rim all day. But here's, here's <laughs> the thing, though, is I wonder if, like, you have you stipulate – players recruited to the big sky are going to be flawed in one way at least and you hope as a coach you can develop some of the the lacking domains and i you know you wonder it's like wow i could recruit a bunch of shooters but that's that's actually gonna if they're flawed in the ability to play defense or be tough or have that mental mindset that travis is so attracted to then you're never going to be competitive with the power five team um, for even 35 minutes. Like you're just going to get the doors blown off and who cares if you can hit threes because you can't play defense. Man, we're talking about, about one of honestly, like my favorite (laughs) thought trains here. Um, There's so much here. First of all, Okay. There, there's an unanswerable question of why can't the elite guys that play for Travis learn how to or get better at shooting? And I think part of it is the fact that Montana is literally one of the most systematic teams in the entire Big Sky Conference. Right. With the way that DeCure's rosters have been constructed, you'd think, okay, these guys are going to get out and run. They're going to push it in transition. They hardly ever do. They run half-court offense all day. And that, that's the thing is if you're a Grizz basketball historian, what Montana does on offense is almost exactly what Montana has done on offense since 1988 when Stu Morrill took over as the head coach. I mean, it's the same high-low system. that the All the actions, Idaho runs them. Weaver State runs them. Why? Because they learned them all from Stu. That's what this. That's what the whole coaching tree, the whole Big Sky Conference is, is <laughs> Stu Morrill's offense. 
And then you talk, take the pack, the pack line defense that Idaho and Montana runs. Anyways, the point is that I think that guys, even that enter the program as elite shooters, they get hesitant in their ability to just let it fly because of the systematic nature of the offense. And again, this is only a slight criticism because all of the entire system wins. When you enact it, it wins. It goes to the NCAA tournament. I mean, the Grizz have made it to the NCAA tournament seven times in the last 14 years. That's as good a success as you're going to have as a mid-major program, period. But I think it does limit you when you're talking about playing those power fives. I also think it's so interesting, like, Lucas, you said that guys that are coming to Big Sky are going to be flawed or limited. I think when it comes to maybe size sometimes, but Division One basketball is seriously so elite now that, like, the dudes that are coming, even to Montana, are so good. Like, they're the best of the best. You know, like, Josh Vasquez was on state championship teams in California. Like, Robbie Beasley was one of the best players in the entire state of California. It's all about just, like, being seen, making it fit. And basketball teams are also just so small. So, guys just trickle downhill, too. So, like, you have so much talent in the big sky conference. But also people always ask me like NBA, like how does it translate to the NBA? Well, it's the same extrapolation, right? You have to be so good, even in like the state of California, one of the King States of basketball to even go to the big sky. Just like you got to be so good in college basketball to ever go to the NBA. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I think that there's a lot there when it comes to the, the shooting woes of Montana I think part of it is the system. Part of it is how stringent their offense is. But I also think that you should just figure out a way to cultivate and recruit shooters for men's state. I think that's the one of the biggest things that they've been missing is they recruit all these awesome guards from all over the place, and they're all slashing combo guards that can run offenses and press, and they're so athletic. But why not just get a couple of Montana guys who, by, you know, they don't have to ever be impact players until they're redshirt juniors, but then who can just sit there and knock down threes in the court? I mean, Layden Ricketts for the Cats last year, for example. Guy couldn't guard anybody. He's the biggest defensive liability in the league. He would tell <laughs> you that. He would tell you that right now, straight up on this podcast. He would tell you that. But guess what? He averaged nine points per game because Harold Frey dined him up for five threes a game, and he was good enough to make two and a half of them, and there it is. And, like, I just can't believe – and he's, you know – He's from Livingston, Montana. I just can't believe that that's not a more replicated um, model. And, and it's also so interesting because Travis played for Blaine Taylor. And Blaine Taylor had that model, too. He had the model of recruiting these great athletes who could play all this defense. But he also had, you know, the couple – the Matt Seidenstickers, the guys – Ryan Dix, the guys who could sit in the corner and shoot it. Isn't there um... – you know, a young guy who's doing pretty well at Utah State who, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, man. lived in, you know, Missoula and, you know, was actually committed to the program at one point. Is there is there somebody who's a shooter out oh, there? Man. Raleigh's so good, it's it's honestly an insult to call him a shooter because he's uh, – I mean, here's here's the thing. I think that sometimes we live in our own little bubbles and we don't really understand like the way that other places around the region and around the world rise. Utah State's straight up a top 20 program. They've been in the top 20 for the last three years. They've been an eight seed in the NCAA tournament for the last two years. Raleigh Rooster's starting for Utah State. 
regardless of what happened at Montana. As a freshman. Exactly. And regardless of what happened at Montana when he decommitted or whatever you want to believe, I mean, the story is way more convoluted than anybody could ever understand. But at the end of the day, the kid took an opportunity to go be a starter on one of the best teams in the country. So, like, I don't know if Montana was ever actually in the mix. They were in the mix because they had him on the hook when he was 14 years old. But, like, in reality, this kid – this kid's pretty darn good, man. I mean, he's already, yeah. I mean, like he's clearly above a big sky player. That's for I sure. mean, he's stepping on the court, you know, against the same power fives the Grizz are playing, and he's con- completely controlling the action. But something went down there because obviously he decommitted, and then he was clearly above big sky talent. But he kept Montana State on the list, apparently just to you know rankle somebody. At Montana. Oh man, dude, you got a nose for it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> well, it's just so obvious. I mean, like he was never going to Montana State, but here he is saying Montana State's in his finals after he was committed to Montana. Something happened, and we don't need to go into it here, but it's like this is what I'm saying. It's like, how do you have somebody like that and not roll out the red carpet? Man, you know me. I'll say anything. I mean, shit. I said, I said, should have got me fired before. I, uh, I That's can't, true. I can't, I can't, I can't touch this one. I got, well, I'll buy, I'll buy, I'll buy you all here just... and I'll tell you the story sometime. But this one, Rally Rooster is, has, people don't know his backstory. I wish he was, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to change the skyline model just so I can write a story about him. Because I don't care if he's not in the big sky right now. He's a Montana he, kid. He, I mean, that's got to count 100%, for something. 100. And he and he was committed to Montana, so I'm writing it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about his background right here, but the kid deserves everything and then some that he gets. He absolutely no. It's it's awesome to see him doing well so man, far. I mean, he came he came from such a challenging position. And to do what he has done is so amazing, man. He deserves so much credit. And, I, you know, regardless, I, I know that everybody listening to this podcast wish he played for the Grizz, but take solace in this. I mean, Utah State, the foundation of Utah State is because of the Grizz. Stu Morrow went and built that thing. Right. Utah, I mean, Utah yeah. State has one of the best programs in the West, man. If you ever catch Utah State on TV, you're talking 12,000 deep during normal times where people are going crazy. Their student section is as good as anywhere in the country. I mean, they made it to the NCAA tournament, what, I think 18 out of 21 years or something like that. I mean, Stu Morrill, yeah. I think he lost 14 games at home in his 18 seasons at Utah State. That's one of the greatest programs in the country. And they got this bad reputation because they were coming out of a terrible whack and they got a 13 seed every year and they got drilled by some blue blood in the NCAA tournament. But that program is unbelievable. And even with Craig Smith at the helm, they've been, they've been rolling. And the fact that Raleigh Wooster – out of Missoula, Montana, is starting for them as a true freshman. Man, it's a testament, man. People that think that D1 guys don't come out of Montana, that's a great success story. Hey, Coulter, two quick things. So when you when you change format on uh, Skyline, make sure you give the Grizz Fan Pod the shout-out for convincing you to do so. And oh, uh, secondly, um, I, uh, I sent a quick text to a teammate of Travis DeCure's to confirm if he was the guy you know, games on the line, the shooter. Um, but like a true competitor, his former teammate 
and ongoing friend said uh he was until i got there <laughs> <laughs> that's so good so that's so not good of, not a lot of help there <laughs> well it is such uh, an awesome answer it's like for, such a competitive athlete like yeah until i got there he was <laughs> another another shameless plug our first grizz great series which actually nuge was one of the uh, the main sponsors of uh, the Blaine Taylor episode, Blaine Taylor talks about coaching under Stu Morrill and then taking over for Stu Morrill and also talks about recruiting Travis DeCure. And he tells a great story. I won't spoil the whole thing. But he tells a great story about the first time he ever saw Travis and uh, how Travis was showboating a bit and how uh, Blaine was real nervous to take the uh, – the recruitment back to, <laughs> to Stu Morrow said Stu's gonna hate this guy. I don't know if he's gonna like him. But either way, uh, like you said, Brent, a lot of uh, competitive juices <laughs> still flowing for the former athletes. Nice. <laughs> well, maybe this is a good time to shift over to the Lady Grizz side. Yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. So, I mean, Lady Grizz, it's interesting. And Coulter, we got you on here to talk talk all things Grizz. So, I mean, um, they had a good home. I think it was a home game win against North Dakota, um, where North Dakota had a pretty big uh, post player. And uh, then just, what, yesterday or two days ago, they go on the road and they played number 25 Gonzaga. And, I mean, they took them all the way to the wire. I mean, it was a two-point game in the fourth quarter. Oh yeah, a game that a game that nobody expected the ladies to win, but um, I mean, a lot of good press about team chemistry, team organization, how things are going, and I mean the Gonzaga and didn't the Gonzaga coach? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Colter helped me out, but it was like they basically the Gonzaga coach kind of said like we weren't what was it? It was at halftime, right? Like we we don't have the same energy as them or something like that. Like they were kind of it kind of caught them by surprise. So I mean. They're one and two, two games, three games in the season, right? But the ladies are looking like they look like they're on a good on a good trajectory right now. When when you're analyzing coaching and and uh, someone's coaching tenure and their potential coaching uh, extension or you know uh, retaining their job. Um, the one thing that, that always gets cloudy is what's the talent level compared to when it was good. And that, this is especially a thing when you're analyzing Grizz teams. I got asked this so often during both the Mick Delaney and Bob Stitt tenures. Did the Grizz, what happened to the talent? Did the talent go downhill? And I, I think that, you know, as three guys, four guys that all followed football, uh, we, we saw that the talent did dissipate, particularly on the lines, um, but the talent was still there in terms of um, a lot of the other positions. And, you know, Montana has such a great brand regionally and nationally when it comes to football, but especially regionally in all sports. Uh, I think that, that athletes are always going to want to come to Montana, but it was always my thought that, Shannon Schwain was one of the best recruiters for Robin Selvig on his way to 868 wins and 21 tournament appearances and, and all the accolades you could ever think of. 
and the Lady Grizz recruiting, in fact, didn't even downgrade. It upticked during Shannon Schwain's tenure. I think a, a player like Sophia Styles would have gone out of state before Shannon Schwain's presence uh, as a as a Lady Grizz head coach. Jamie Pickens absolutely would have gone out of state. But then you have the greatest player in Montana history, perhaps the most iconic woman in the history of athletics in the state of Montana, let alone the University of Montana. And that attracted a lot of players to Montana. And Montana's recruiting was really good. Well, now you've seen just in a few short weeks under a new regime, and I'm not, I'm not here to tear apart the other one. We already spent an hour plus doing that in the last time I was on this pod. But uh, I think that you can see a revitalization in confidence and a revitalization in uh, the internal belief of some of the best players on the Lady Grizz. I mean, Sophia Styles was somebody that could have gone a lot of places, but the two-time Montana Gatorade Player of the Year from Malta, she, she stuck with the Lady Grizz, and here she is now as a dominant player. I mean, she looked like one of the best players on the court against Gonzaga. Um, I thought Carmen G. Feller was maybe a mm-hmm. Mountain West level recruit when she was coming out of Colfax, Washington, but she has the family connection with her brother, Brandon playing uh, for the Grizz. And, the, and then you have Abby Anderson, who's absolutely a top shelf, big sky recruit, let alone maybe a Mountain West project coming to Montana. And she's really, I uh, turned the corner as well. And so, and, and Montana actually, I mean, I, you got to give Mike Petrino and his staff a lot of credit too. They finally went outside the Robin Selvig box that's last, lasted for 42 years. They brought in a couple junior college transfers. They brought in a couple gals from east of the Mississippi. They even brought in a couple international players. And they finally brought in somebody that wasn't just from the Pacific Northwest, mainly Montana and Idaho to contribute to this team. And here they are. I know they're only one and two, but they've looked pretty darn good, particularly in the win over North Dakota, but also in taking Gonzaga down the wire, only losing by seven to a top 25 team. I mean, they were leading that game at the last media timeout. So uh, they're right there. And and I think if they can continue to cultivate that confidence with their main players, I think that they'll continue to be right there. I'm excited for them. I mean, it's a good start to the season and, I mean, obviously, Petrino, head coach, he's on a one-year, right? So this is this year is his audition for an extension. It'll be it's going to be interesting to see how the season unfolds. Obviously, so I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's uh, it's an encouraging start for for this team, and can they keep it up, or is this just kind of a flash in the pan out, out the gate? It'll be interesting. Uh, who do they, Coulter? Who do they have left for before we get into conference play? Uh, the Lady Grizz play at Seattle U probably, uh, we'll say this afternoon, uh, if you're listening to this on a Tuesday. Um, be. Hashtag Grizz yeah. Fan Pod Tuesday. Uh, Grizz Fan Pod Tuesday. You guys are consistent. That's why you guys That's why you guys get so many downloads. Uh, and then they also have a game against Utah Valley next Monday, but we'll see Utah Valley's had some COVID stuff. They had to cancel their game against Montana State this last weekend, so – that one's pending, but Lady Grizz at Seattle U Tuesday. I'm, I mean, I'm excited for him. You know, I, I think all of us uh, have the, uh, our, you know, the prime Lady Grizz fan base being our aging boomer parents. And um, I'm hearing nothing but excitement about this season so far. So hopefully, hopefully they keep it up. What, um, 
what is the landscape of of the women's side of the big sky? Um, I mean, I obviously just am at a point now where I penciled Montana State in to be one of the top few com- competitive teams. But what is the landscape this year, Coulter? It's, it's an interesting question. So Montana State won a league record 19 games a year ago, 19-1. and one. Uh, caveat because Robin Selvig went undefeated in the league multiple times, but that was when it was 16 league games, but still impressive. 19 and one in the league play. Uh, Bobcats went 20, they went, had 25 wins overall, tying the school record. Uh, their loss to BYU on, uh, I guess last Thursday snapped an 18 game winning streak that dated 344 total days. So, um, you're talking almost a calendar year. They took Utah out of the brink on Friday. They were they were winning that game with about seven minutes to go, but then Utah had a 15-0 run. Utah ends up winning by 10. But the Bobcats are uh, statistically the youngest team in the country. They have three sophomore starters. They got six freshmen in their rotation. Patricia Bedford's really used the, mo- the momentum of the university as a whole to recruit on a completely different level than I've seen in the Big Sky Conference. She's getting – uh, top tier three and four star recruits from some of the Western states. She's using the academics to lure them there. Um, she got a pair of Lady Grizz legacy players in uh, uh, Leah Beattie, who's Kelsey, uh, excuse me, Kelly Pitcher's daughter. Kelly Pilcher was the point guard on the uh, late 80s, early 90s Lady Grizz teams that Shannon Schwinn was a star of. And uh, Trisha Bedford also got Lexi Deaton who is the daughter of Don Siliker. Don Siliker was a thousand point scorer for Lady Grizz late eighties. And uh, Lexi Deaton then played for her aunt, Karen at Missoula Sentinel. Um, but you combine the, those six freshmen with a sophomore class. That's a stellar uh, combined with the fact that I think Darian white, who was the freshman of the year in the league last year at point guard. I think she's the best player in the big sky conference. She's one of the, I mean, I've only, we're only what, uh, 34 games into her career, and I could already say she's one of the 10 best women's basketball players I've covered in the league. She's amazing. She's wow. uh, such a high-level dynamo, and it's it's like her scoring is completely down the list. She can shadow a player from start to finish of a game, full-court press. She's one of the best on-ball and off-ball defenders I've seen. She controls the game, the tempo of the game, in, in pretty much every element. She's a high-level player, and that's a great get for Binford. But all that's to say is that Montana State, I think, it has a chance to be better than people think, given the fact they lost five seniors from last year, but they're still not the cream and the crop in the big sky. I think Montana and Montana State are both going to vie for um, buys in the big sky tournament, but I think the top three are pretty defined. Uh, the th- thing that was so interesting about the big sky last year is the only two teams that were any sort of old – where Montana State with their five seniors and the Lady Grizz with Mackenzie Johnston and Emma Stockholm. Um, so the rest of the league was really young. Idaho State only had one senior, Estefania Ors, who was uh, a all-big sky player two years ago and an all-big sky tournament team player two years in a row. But she tore her knee before the season started. So Idaho State had no seniors a year ago. Idaho – just had one senior, Lizzie Clinker, who's from Fairfield, Montana, who probably should have been and would have been playing for the Lady Grizz if Robin Selvig was still the head coach. But she escaped to go play for Idaho, and uh, she was the only senior last year. But now they have the all-league duo of Gina Markson and Beyonce Bay back. So I think uh, I voted Idaho, Idaho State 1-2 in my poll. I think that when it comes to regular season and 
the tournament. Those are the two best coaches when it comes to the, both scenarios. But then NAU's the upstart. I mean, talk about Montana Connections. All of these schools have Montana Connections. But Lori Payne from Havers, the head coach at NAU, and she was a great player at University of Washington and then built it up at uh, Seattle Pacific, and then she's been at NAU now the last couple of years. But they were right there last year in the top four teams in the league, and they return everybody, including the preseason MVP in the league and Karika Rashid. So I have uh, Idaho, Idaho State, NAU, but I think Montana, Montana State are both right there too. And if you have some of the best players in the league in basketball, as we know, if you have one of the best players in the league, you always got a shot. And I truly think, especially in women's basketball, when that player is your point guard and they can play on both sides, you really have a shot. And I think that Darian White from Montana State and Sophia Stiles from Montana are the two best point guards in the league. So that, I mean, really, I might have voted Idaho, Idaho State, and NAU, but I think those two young ladies could absolutely lead the Cats and the Grizz, respectively, into the top three, top four in the league. All right. Well, uh, you know, for austerity's sake here, too, uh, I've got the TV on as I'm watching this, and uh, Cleveland and Baltimore has just finished uh, playing a game that will go down in football meme history where Lamar Jackson has had to leave the game at least twice to go poop, uh, but came back in to uh, throw game-winning touchdown or just uh, big game-changing plays. So um, <laughs> they're, they're reporting the poop. The memes on Twitter right now are on fire. So, um, yeah, the, the, the headlines are uh, Ravens dump Browns. So uh, there you go. As a complete interjection, apologies. What else you guys got? <laughs> so you took it in a completely different direction there. Brandon. Yeah, like Coulter's like all these late. All, yeah, they're usually like great players in the big sky. I was like, hey, Lamar Jackson had to poop a whole bunch tonight. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. About Coulter's <laughs> Not mine. Oh, man. Luke, come on, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's going to be an interesting year with Big Sky Hoops on both sides. You know, I, I, I'm, it, I don't know. I'm just like fascinated on both sides. I think it's, it's a year where, you know, I, me personally as a fan, like my ceiling of expectations for the women's team is low, and so far they've exceeded it tremendously just by in three games. And the men's, I just have no idea, like literally no idea what to think, just because they got like so many guys that we've been excited to see. But it's just a team of a whole bunch of guys that we've not they haven't played together much, and then you add in the pandemic, and it's just kind of an unknown. So uh, hoops wise, I mean, it's just I don't I just have no idea what to expect this year. Coulter, are you going to be at all of the home games? Um, all the ones that I I can for sure. I mean, they're dissipating as we speak. But yes, yeah. I oh, so by the way, for anybody that didn't catch the breaking news, Dickinson State in Missoula on Friday. I know that doesn't mean anything besides watching on Pluto TV, but another home game for the Grizz Friday night. I was gonna say it's a game and a good yeah. We can't go to Derek Selvig. Yeah, Derek Selvig's the head coach. Dickinson State. Oh, nice, nice. Awesome. Leave it to Luke to pay attention to those small town boys. Well, uh, we've got some fan questions and actually a handful are hoops related. Should we hop into those or what do you guys think? 
Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we hop into those and then maybe wrap up with just some football thoughts. So we, it is, it is signing day on Wednesday. How crazy. That's what, that's what uh, we were kind of wanting to talk. Maybe let's talk signing day, then do questions. And then, yeah. So Coulter, we're kind of, obviously there's not a ton of football news, but then there's always football news. Like obviously Matt Nelson left. Um, Signing day is. Wednesday. Well, I guess the signing, the signing period opens on Wednesday, I should say. So what is that going to look like? It all of a sudden it seems like they've got as many offers out as they would in a normal year. Do they or do they not? And well, are we just yeah, renaming? Are we going to rename this football team to the Sentinel Spartans <laughs> East or what? So I guess they got what they got five commits from Sentinel. Um, yeah, I mean, state I champs it, though. So Pete, yeah. some people are saying it's one of the best double A teams in a long time. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Man. We could do a whole podcast all about that, but we won't waste your time. Here, here's the thing. They got more talented skill players than any team I've ever seen in Montana. But does that win playoff games if you actually were to play a head-to-head in the snow in November in Montana, right? Like, I'm, th- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh, 2003 CMR that had a, a five-man offensive line that all went D1. Yeah, but your biggest, your biggest blind spot as a journalist is – the eras you lived through are the ones that you hold gold standard and nobody can ever compare. So I'm just going to say you were, you were in high school in 03. I too was in high school in 03, believe it or not. And I remember that CMR team and I remember their basketball team. And all I want to say is I hope somebody beats them. (laughs) No, no, No question. No question. But they did have, they did have three, Pac-12 football recruits, one Pac-12 baseball recruit, one Mountain West football recruit, mm-hmm. and five Big Sky Conference football recruits. No. That's a lot. That's a lot more than four preferred walk-ons with the Grizz. Like CMR in the era that we were in high school in AA sports was ridiculous. I mean, yeah, like, like so so good. I mean. Here's the thing. You had Air Force families literally getting transferred to Malmstrom Air Force Base to play for Jack Johnson because they knew they could win uh, state championships and get scholarships. So, I mean, it's totally different. Regardless, the point of the story is, though, Seneca had a beautiful team. I loved them. They saved my life this fall. Um, But as far as signing day goes, I mean – well, what a year where, I mean, you had, you had, to, I mean, they don't know how many, most of these guys that are coming in, they don't know if they're on scholarship or not. Like it's a completely moving target. Cause right now, like say every single guy for the cats and the Grizz came back all the way through the spring, all the way through the fall. And these 20 plus guys on each side is going to sign. Well, now you're talking about 140 plus guys for each team. The maximum roster number is 104. So does the NCAA change that? I mean, do they change the rule? Okay. But still, then how do you pay for that? How do you pay for the scholarships? And also, what's the equivalency move to? Because right now, FCS level, you get 63 scholarships. 85 guys can get scholarships. So do those numbers move? So there's a lot of moving targets. Like how many guys are going to graduate and want to move on with their lives? How many guys are going to get hurt? If there's any sort of a spring season, whether it's in games or in practice, how many guys are going to, you know, get homesick or get sick or whatever it might be. There's between now and September one, 
there's and that and that's when these next recruits are going to be coming in is in September. So that's how we're analyzing it. But how many of these guys are going to be ready to go, and how many of these guys are going to walk away? So I think that there's some decisions that are going to have to be made throughout each roster, but also some decisions that have to be made from the coaching staffs. Um, but I think that both uh, coaching staffs honed in their recruiting pretty good. I mean, you look at Montana; they pretty much recruited Missoula kids and Montana kids. And then, you know, they have three out-of-state guys. That's it. One of whom's older brother plays on the team. And Ben McGoring, his older brother, Jacob, those two are from Cheney. But, I mean, ironically, it, right? Sermon's, Sermon's kind of an out-of-state guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Is, I understand he that he, he started half the games for Sentinel this year. But, I mean, he came to Sentinel because Washington wasn't playing football and he wanted to play for the Grizz. So, I mean... For sure, for for sure, and he's got family legacy. Not only his older brother Cy playing on the team last year, but his uncle David was a inside linebacker for the '95 national champs. Um, if you want to hear a great interview, you can go to 1029ESPN.com podcast tab. Uh, Candace Sermon joined me on my show live last week. Uh, I was so impressed. Honestly, it's it's funny because you think, okay what can you really get out of a recruiting interview? Well, if you have the boilerplate and you've been doing it a long time, you really can gauge the personality of kids. And I always think that the recruiting interviews are, are pretty impactful in my opinion of what I think of the kids. And, and if they express genuine uh, either awareness or love for the place that they're going, I think that goes a long ways. And Cameron Sermon certainly did that. Um, but you're right, Mike. I mean, most of the kids in this recruiting class are from Montana. Most of them are from Western Montana. And I think that's the way that Montana is navigating the pandemic. They're basically saying, hey, if you already know, we don't have to sell you. We just want you because you want to be a Grizz. And uh, if you're from close by, we'll give you a tour of campus, but still same thing. And Montana State, it's been by and large the same thing. They have a lot of kids from Montana and they also have some kids from the the basic pipelines that they've established specifically the Boise area um where you know because Jeff Joe spent six years at Boise State and so I, I think that both schools have pared down their recruiting in terms of reach but ramped up their recruiting uh in terms of their uh, passion for these kids and I think that honestly if you were talking about all the detriments to college athletics when it comes to the pandemic one of the bright spots, one of the lucky parts that these schools and these teams got to experience is the fact that this is the best year, in my opinion. I, I shouldn't say the, the overall best year because there's been years when you got guys like Will Disley who are in, end up in the NFL. But in terms of the depth of this Montana recruiting class, I think there's more guys that can play or they have the ability to be top-level uh, players in the Big Sky Conference than we've seen in the last decade. And that's a, that's, that's a co- complete coincidence, but it's also a complete benefit to both Montana schools. Yeah, no, definitely a good year for AA. I would agree with that. I was wondering if, I mean, it is fortunate that we have so much talent this year, but is it like a COVID travel recruiting issue? Or is it that we're going to have so many returning players on scholarship that, it's kind of nice to be able to recruit Montana kids in this like sort of scholarship offering gap here. Well, d- define your question a little bit. Um, okay. Uh, let's pretend this is the worst 
uh, double or the worst class of Montana athletes of all time. Okay. Do they still offer the same number of spots to Montana kids. No, I think they would keep the. I think I think they would keep the scholarships open. Okay. And the the other the other thing to remember is that, and this is a completely moving target and completely arbitrary at this exact moment, because again, they don't know how much scholarship money they have, and they don't know how much scholarship money they can offer. But as of right now, this recent run of Montana kids that the Grizz have been on since the state championship games completed. I'm not so sure that any of those guys have definitive offers. I'm not going to say they're preferred walk-ons. I'm not going to say that they're not going to get money. They might get money. But as of right now, I don't think that guys like Cameron Sermon, Soren Seabrood from Sentinel, I, I, you know, all the walk, the kid, the, the Sloan McPherson kid from Savage, the Corby Mann kid. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know if those guys are, have been officially offered any money whatsoever. And again, that could be a caveat because of the, the state of the of affairs right now. But you're also talking about like they're, they're, it's, it's all in flux. Okay. But objectively, I think this is a really good class. I think there's a lot of things that have moved in the favor of Montana kids being good recruits. I think that there's a, a whole bunch of different factors. I think – First of all, I think that coaches in Montana in high school have told football players for all of eternity, you better run track. But I think that uh, yeah. a lot of football players ignored them and played baseball or <laughs> did nothing. And now I think the guys know, oh, if I throw down some track times, I could get elevated offers. And that's what you see from all sorts of guys. Jace Kluswich coming to the Grizz, Neil Daly going to the Cats. I mean, these guys – they have good track times that made them pretty prestigious recruits. I also think that this group of Montana guys did a good job individually of using the resources at their disposal to get their names out of there, out there. You talk about huddle and Twitter and all these things like Kenneth Iden, who's going to the grid or excuse me, going to the Bobcats, who was the double A player defensive player of the year last year as a junior he marketed himself better than any Montana kid I've ever seen. Like he went to multiple camps, but he also had multiple different highlight videos and multiple different things he could put out there to the world. And I think it helped him get recruited at a higher level than a lot of people. And I also think that the way the recruiting game evolved because coaches don't have the ability to go out and see kids because they're not on visits or on planes or traveling around, you know, watching games. I think that a lot of kids in rural areas got recruited at a higher level. I mean, in this recruiting cycle, for example, you saw Northern Colorado coming to Montana, offer some kids. That's the first time I ever seen that. You saw Northern Arizona coming to Montana and offer some kids. That's not completely unexpected, particularly because Robin Flugrad and Aaron Flugrad are on the staff at NDU. And it's also not expected that Ed McCaffrey comes up here and, and offers some kids in Northern Colorado too. I mean, one of his assistants, uh, was a former Missoula Osprey. He unfortunately passed away this offseason. Uh, but that's here nor there. I mean, he that that assistant led him to recruiting some kids from Montana. So, like, a kid like Kellen Dietrich, the DN from Haver, he had offers from both Northern Colorado and Northern Arizona before he committed to the Grizz. But then you also saw uh, some kids get pretty elevated offers compared to in the, in the past. You know, Kenneth Iden had, I think, three – FBS offers Dylan Rollins from Sentinel had six FBS offers plus a preferred walk on to Nebraska. 
So I think because coaches had more time to evaluate film and kids had more time to put that film in front of them, you also saw a rec- uh, an elevator recruiting profile for the Montana kids. But make no mistake, even circumstances aside, I thought this class from Montana was really good. I think that both programs have eight to ten kids each coming in, regardless of what their scholarship status is, because, again, that's all in flux, that can be contributors. And that's exciting. There's nothing, like, uh, more, like, fun about a Grizz game day or, you know, even a Cat game day than seeing a roster of Montana kids. That's that's awesome. Well, I think that's Bobby's plan, right? Like, if Bobby Houck had it his way – he, he he would have like Carson Rostad or Chris Brown as a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, probably. Ja- ja- Jack- Jackson Lee or, you know, insert another Montana running back as a running back. Gabe Solser and Mitch Roberts and TJ Roush and these guys as the receivers and then all the Montana linemen, right? I mean, Bobby's no dummy, man. Like, he knows how to do it. Like, that 2009 team, the 2009 Grizz team, like, you're talking about – Almost every dude is from Montana, and when and when it's not a, a politics thing, when they really did win it, and they're from Montana, I mean that's how you get twenty six thousand people in that stadium. Do you think? Um, not to shift gears a little bit, but um, uh, Sermon's cousin, or is it his brother? Is the one of the QBs that you know? Uh, it is his cousin. So here, here's the Sermon family legacy. Um, Peter Sermon played linebacker at Oregon. And then he played for the Titans for about eight years. He's one of the renowned defensive coordinators in college football. He's worked at Tennessee, Wisconsin. Now he's at Cal. Don't, don't fault him for being at Cal, but he has a, a pretty rich resume. Uh, then David Sermon, his younger brother, was a all big sky linebacker for the Grizzlies 1995 and his son Jacob is the quarterback at Washington and then you have um John Sermon who went to Idaho played linebacker in Idaho late 80s early 90s and uh then his oldest son Cy was the center for the Grizz last year and then their daughter Claire was a assistant for Montana Sports Information last year, and then Camden is the youngest brother. So, you they aren't burning a year of eligibility playing at UW right now. Sermon's not not the starter, right? Uh, he is not the starter. That is true. So everybody was clamoring, you know, myself included, that he should have transferred last off season. What's to stop him transferring Christmas? and playing for the Grizz in the spring, keeping his eligibility, and then we've just got, like, sermons at QB for the next six years. Oh, man, you're asking loaded questions now, Nuge. Uh, I got no comment on this one. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. But this but – this, now, Mike, are you moving off the Chris Brown starting QB for four years? No. I'm oh, just, is this hey, that you have the, been a the, part the, of? Is, this, is, the other is good this thing about Chris Brown for four years is spring's not going to count, so he's going to win that job and play those six games, get us to the playoffs this spring, <laughs> and have four more years of eligibility okay, after this one. I could carry two thoughts. It's going to be a hell of a battle, Chris Brown and the Sermon Brothers cousins. They- <laughs> 
they ain't playing in the spring. Uh, no, uh, we don't think so either. <laughs> well, let, lay out the uh, scenario in which there's games in the spring. Like how zero? Hell freezes zero. Over, one of those type of scenarios. Yeah, zero, zero, zero. You think zero because realistically they're not going to be able to do Missoula, or do you think zero because realistically? the Big Sky Conference teams can't afford to play football without any fans. All of the above. I think that the Big Sky Conference football teams that can't afford to play without fans are the ones in Montana. All the other programs, they can afford to play without fans all the time. They have forever. <laughs> the, here, here's the issues. Local, county, and state health regulations, particularly when it comes to the county health departments, how do you get ready for the season? Can you practice with 105 guys plus 20 coaches, trainers, all that? I don't know how that's going to happen anytime in the next, you know, I mean, we're talking about weeks away. I mean, they're going to have to open fall camp a month from today, basically. I mean, that's really what it is. They're going to have to open fall camp the day the semester opens to get the NCAA regulated 29 practices in before a February 27th opener. That ain't happening. But then, What's the cost and the validity of the maintenance, clearing the field, all that. This is just from the Montana perspective. But then you talk about outside of Montana. There's multiple teams in the league, I won't say who, that can't even afford testing. They don't even know how they're going to be able to test, period, before, during, or after any sort of, quote-unquote, winter camp. Yeah, you can say who. It's almost all of them, starting with the team in Cheney. So exactly. Exactly. Eastern Washington, Idaho I mean, State. Every, yeah. every, everybody, everybody. Because <laughs> here, here, here's, here's the dichotomy of the big sky, right? Montana, Montana State, they make all their revenue off of home games. You're talking on the Cats, three to four million dollars a weekend. The Grizz, four and a half to six million dollars on a given weekend and revenue from ticket sales. Nobody else in the big sky makes even close to that much money. They make negligible money at the gate. They're making millions of dollars by playing money games. Well, what happened in this fall? All the money games got canceled. What's going to happen in the spring? The money games don't exist. There's no way to generate revenue. So how do you do it? No one's paying you revenue to have Big Sky football on TV in the spring. It ain't happening. So then what happens when the rest of the country opts out? Well, who knows? But it seems like that's a likely scenario. The reason that we're seeing, to be frank, the reason we're seeing college sports at any level, mainly the Power Five level right now, is money. They're exploiting the kids. They're grinding it through. They're shoving a square peg in a round hole for money. And if there's no money to be had when, because there's no TV money at this level like there is at the Power Five level, what's the point? There is no point. And so I think that what we're seeing is most – I think the big guys dragging their feet right now in terms of canceling it. They're hoping somebody they, else does it first. So they're not the bad guys, right? Exactly. And I think Montana, Montana state will be the last to cancel because they want to just have a couple games on their schedule just for some sort of warm up or whatever. But the validity and the integrity of the spring big side football season is not, it's non-existent to me. I'm with you. I just, yeah. I just don't see how it could happen. No, the last time we recorded, I mean, Brent's kind of been there more or less, but we kind of came to that conclusion. Because I, I, 
you know, we had Andrew Schmidt on and he was just talking about what on earth would be the motivation of a player to do it. Like they should all opt out, but who knows? Um, so a couple other football related things that I think we get to, but Brent, why don't you uh, pull up the questions? Let's do that. All right. So I'll get Twitter up here. I think we got a few on Egress as well, but uh Twitter questions. We got some good ones, actually. I feel like. All right. Okay. Uh, let me see. Brian Marceau of Tubbs in the Club uh, had a. <laughs> uh, Coulter, you'll appreciate this question. Can you detail how spectacular it was in the in twenty seventeen to eighteen for Montana State to have Brian and Brian Fish to have three future pros, Hall Blevins. Uh, and, and Frey, uh, as well as a future Pac-12 starter in Bonton, uh, at we, uh, Washington State, and still just finished six and twelve in the Big Sky after a four and zero conference start. God, we need a whole podcast for this. <laughs> I mean, Christ. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you guys a question. Because because I, I just I just chronicle this stuff because I love history and I want people to remember and I think that journalism is essential to American society and I think holding people that get paid state money accountable is essential. You guys are fans. If I told you you could have a head basketball coach that brought in multiple guys who were going to go pro who are unabashedly entertaining to watch. And you're going to watch an 89 to 83 basketball game every single night, but your team's going to lose two out of three games. What would you say? No way. No, no way. Give me that ugly team. Give me that ugly team that wins. That's me. Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I would not trade what we've done the last, you know, 10 plus years around here for that. Oh God. I mean, oh, Walter, what's your what's your answer on this? You're setting it up like there's another side. Well, here's the thing. Here, here's the other side is if you're going to be Montana State and you're going to be one game above or one game below 500. For this is not an exaggeration. Besides that season that Brian is referencing, there's been two seasons out of the last 17 years where Montana State has been either has been other than. One game above 500, one game below 500. That's all they are. They're in a, they're a 500 program. They finished fourth or fifth in the Big Sky every single season except for one Brad Hughes year and one the first Brian Fish year and that year. That's it. That's they are fourth or fifth in the Big Sky. They are 500, one game above, one game below. Period. 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 It doesn't matter who the coach is. So if you're going to tell me I could have Brad Hughes junior college program where you got a bunch of sporadic guys who are grinding out and playing good defense and Brad's freaking out and yelling down your throat. And you're just going to have this exact same result every time day in and day out. Or you could tell me I could go 500 or maybe you'd be one game above or one game below and I can watch Tyler Hall and Harold Frey. I'm picking Tyler Hall and Harold Frey. Well, yeah, in that context. Yes. So you <laughs> So to bring it back to where this question started, 
You think it's the public employee's obligation to provide a compelling <laughs> thing to watch if they're just going to be five hundred? Well, well here, here, here's here's the thing though. Here's here's the, here's the thing though, Lucas. You you joke, but at the end of the day, this is all about revenue. If you're going to go sixteen and fifteen, and that's just a given because of the amount of resources you allot to basketball, if you can sell two thousand more tickets because Tyler Hall and Harold Frey play on your team, then that's absolutely worth it. And that's what Montana State did. I mean, Brian Fish, he sold two thousand more tickets the first two years of Montana, two hundred thousand, excuse me, the first two years of Montana State than Brad Hughes did. So, like that is it, when you are what you are, and that's what you're investing in basketball. It actually is worth it. From a fan perspective, absolutely not. You want to win, period. But there's no question that more people are going to Bobcat games because Tyler Hall and Harold Frey played there. You guys, tell me, out of the three of you, guys that followed the Big Sky Conference, watched Big Sky Basketball, name me a player from between 2005 and 2015 from Montana State. Oh, uh, Carson Durr. It's <laughs> a good one. Who is the coach's kid? Uh, the coach's Casey son. Durham. Great. Durham, you guys, yeah, you guys named two Montana walk-ons. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Nick Disley was there. So was yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh there was a Disley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick Disley. See, see we're locked in. Locked in. <laughs> I was going to say, they did a lot better than you thought they would do right there. <laughs> Can you guys name one of their all Big Sky players over the last 15 years besides the guys? No, I can't. No. no. I mean, I mean, Carlos Taylor was a two-time first-team All Big Sky player. Yeah, I mean, I'm not dogging you guys whatsoever. All I'm saying is, if they're not fan-friendly, then it doesn't matter. And if that, the, my whole point is that if you're gonna, so regardless, to answer Brian's question, to watch that team go six and twelve was utterly spectacular because it taught me it taught me so much about the state of men's college Division One basketball. The delusion that exists in Division I men's college basketball is a larger state of delusion than any other element of our society, and I'm not kidding. Mm. There, was no, there was no player on that Montana State team. I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go through the whole roster. But there was at least half and maybe more than half of the roster, straight up, that thought they were better than Tyler Hall. <laughs> they thought they were better than Tyler Hall. They, oh my God. The, the whole thing was so toxic because you, I mean, dude, they had two guys, listen to this. They had two guys that declared for the NBA draft early <laughs> when Tyler Hall declared for the NBA draft because they thought they were better than Tyler Hall. These guys had never started a division one college game. These guys were junior college transfers to a six and 12 Montana state team. And they thought they were going to league. They, this is the level of delusion that exists in men's college basketball. Well, I mean, it's, it's, basketball is an easy sport to have the delusion because it's so, I mean, obviously it's a team sport, but it's so easy for one person to kind of be fed that they're the, they're the guy. And then you go into your next level with that mentality. I, for sure. You know, it's interesting too. Like when I, when I first read this tweet from Brian Marceau, you know what I immediately thought of too on like the flip side is the Mick Delaney years as head coach um of the Grizz because we sent a lot of guys to the NFL in a Montana perspective right I mean uh and um or in an FCS perspective but uh you know Mick Delaney's teams never 
did a whole bunch, although they did get in the playoffs more often than not. But um, and and I still maintain uh, I, I appreciate what Mick did for the program to come back. And I know um, Mike shares differing opinions on his tenure, but uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to like compare just different programs and different times and how you can send so many guys uh, to the pros, but not show that success as a program on, on the court or on the field or whatever. You know that Mick Delaney's uh, daughter sells real estate, real estate for me too. Who's that? Who's that? Shauna Basil. Okay. He's got a lot of daughters and daughters-in-law. They're all great people. I, I was going to say, everybody I've met who's related to Mick Delaney has been great. Awesome family. So Absolutely. Did, you, did, you, did you guys know that Sonny Holland and Mick Delaney are married through marriage? Or are related what? through marriage? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> married one of, marriage. No, no. One, Isn't one that of, how it works? One of, <laughs> no, one, one of uh, Mick's daughters or granddaughters is married to one of Sonny's people. Didn't wasn't Mick like an assistant under him at some point? Right, Mick Denny yeah. and Mick Delaney were. That's why I was saying about Tiger. Both, there you go. Both Mick, Mick well, yeah, guys, and Mick yeah. Delaney were both on Sonny Lubick's staff after Sonny Holland retired as Bobcat head coach. Nice. Okay, uh, Twitter questions. Twitter questions. Let me see. I got a few more here. So uh, Montana Parlay wants to come on the pod so you can bash on Hot Take Nate. Uh, Kyle Dyrud asks us. I'm with foot uh, on the football side in state. Well, which in state recruit is most intriguing and could have the most upside. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, I'll give you one on each side and they are uh, same position, same specs and same reason for the upside. Kellen Dietrich from Haver who's coming to the Grizz and Neil Daly from Billings West. Who's coming to cats. They're both, 6'3", 220, DN slash stand-up outside linebacker. Uh, Dietrich got a little bit more pub because of his performances at some camps. He was a three-star guy. But I think Neil Daly is really good, too. Just he looks good base. in that championship game. He looked great. I mean, he had 14 tackles. He runs like a deer. I mean, he's a track guy. You know, he was on that. He was a key cog in that Missoula Sentinel state championship track team a couple of years, a couple of springs ago, last time we had a track season, Neil Daly got a, he, he medaled in both high jump and the 200 meters as a sophomore. And then his dad got a new job in building. So they moved. So he kind of had a transition, but that was a kind of a cool interior storyline to that state championship game. Cause Neil Daly grew up with all those Sentinel kids. And I actually thought the grids might've had an inside track at getting him since he was from Missoula, but the cats got him. Um, but both of those guys, I think, I think that Dietrich's probably the stronger and more uh, physically developed of the two. But I think Daly's probably the better athlete, just in terms of his ability to run and have range. But I think both those guys, they are both prototype in terms of what Montana has always produced. You know, the the long, lean, skinny, but tough guys that have a ton of upside. They need to learn how to play the position, but they just have the this like raw athleticism. I think both those guys have the chance to be really darn good. Nice, nice. Uh, let's see. Fight on Montana rival podcast uh, asks if who we think nice. rival, rival, right? Well, I mean, we support them; they support us. It's all yeah. good. Uh, no, I just He's let, out there not trying like, to do his thing. No, 
he's doing his thing. No, I'm not saying it like a negative term, but uh, let's see. Oh, I wasn't saying it is in the same connotation, but oh, that's a different. Jeez, wow. It's, it's, it's 2020. Uh, you know, by 2022, you guys, we're all going to be under the exact same podcast umbrella. I'm going <laughs> to be selling advertising for all of us. So uh, this question says, uh, going into the year 2021, which team will uh, – let me see. I'm going to try to paraphrase here. Uh, what what team what decade? team in the next 10 years is the team of the decade on the FCS because obviously NDSU for the last 10 years is the given Coulter if you say the cats god damn it man I swear to god well, I will not so, go so we'll like disconnect tomorrow. we're gonna hang here's, up on here, you here's, here's the thing here's the start thing a pod, I'm gonna start it a podcast is, on a rival radio station in Missoula if you say the cats <laughs> yeah we are <laughs> We are, I don't even know. I don't cats, even know who we are going tomorrow to pitch a sports show from four to six on that other sports channel. On Vandalizing. <laughs> I don't even know who the hell it is, but we're yeah. going to go to those so trend like <laughs> it's, it's a great endorsement for them. You guys should be able to sell it well. Um, uh, no, here, here's here here's the thing though. Here here's the thing. Oh God, he's going to say the cats. No, no, li- listen, li- listen to me. There's only three. There's only three answers, and it's James Madison, Montana, yep. and Montana State. And outside, outside of, of NDSU doing it again, outside what of about, NDSU doing it again. What about Northern Iowa, the media darling every year that finishes six and five? No. So here's the thing, though. I want to do a story on this, but the major facility renovations that have happened mm. at the one double A level since 1970 through now have coincided almost unequivocally with success. When Montana state went from Reno H sales stadium to Bobcat stadium, 76 and 84 national championship. When the Grizz built Washington Grizzly stadium, multiple national championships, when Appalachian state and Georgia Southern and Youngstown state did facility renovations. Look what happened when NDSU built an indoor practice facility. Look what happened when South Dakota state Got to roll. I know they haven't won a national championship, but they've had pretty darn good success since the facilities have gotten implemented. When Eastern Washington went to their red turf, what happened? National championship. It, facilities, 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 facilities. What did Montana just do? Champions Center. Center. Yeah. Exactly. What did Montana State do to try to combat it? Well, they got some stuff going. They can't quite match the Champions Center yet, but they're trying to roll on it. But, but that's made Montana – as well, engaged in the arms race, and the arms race was around the big sky because Weber State built their indoor. North Dakota built their indoor before leaving the big sky. But now the arms race is Montana, Montana State. That's it in the big sky. Yep. And, yep. you know, in terms of the way that revenue works, you can make money in three ways as an FCS school. You're not going to make money off TV. So you're making, ticket, you're making money at the gate. Selling tickets, you're making money from private donations, scholarship association, and um, money games, right? And you're, and you're, you're money making games, money, money games, you're making, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're making money in money games. And so, you're talking, I mean, the cats and the grizz have the ability, they, they have the donations, they have the, the momentum behind that element of their program, they have the gate going right now too and so 
but oh, so the, the other way you can make it though is through student athletic fees, and that's where James Madison sets themselves apart because James Madison has an enrollment of 35,000 plus. They charge every student, you know, whatever, a couple hundred bucks a semester. That's just an estimation, but you're talking about they're getting 40 plus million dollars a year just just because their students go to school there but that's why schools like sacramento state and nau are viable in the big sky conference even though they have literally no support because the student athletic fees right (laughs) but but regardless the answer to the question is montana montana state and james madison in that order montana state has the institutional momentum there's no question they have the community momentum there's no question but montana has the tradition they have the coach who's been there to the elite level. And now they have what should be the pristine facility in the big sky. I here, I have a question for you guys. I think Bobby Houck knows the formula to recruit at Montana better than anybody in terms of recruiting guys who want to be there, who will sell out for being the Grizz, and then also who they can develop into elite players. But is that selling yourself short in terms of getting top shelf players based on the champion center and then a caveat is but is that can we not even analyze that right now because you can't even bring guys on campus to even see the champion center yeah that's i mean i think mike and i have kind of had this conversation like is there is there an element missing where i mean this may be a bigger conversation but like 10 years ago 15 years ago that strategy and the knowledge of what it needs to get there at that era, um, <clears throat> does that still work? I guess is the thing I wonder about in, in, in its entirety. Well, hot take, did it ever? <laughs> it I'm, got damn close. It oh, got it got damn, damn close. close, but three three times? Yeah, three times. Well, yeah, but mean, it's like you yeah, go back times. to the whole Travis Takir and system thing. It's like, is it just good enough? to be to always get you into the playoffs to always make you competitive but not quite good enough to get you over that last hump i'm just asking the question i'm i'm you know it's no. just like bill o'reilly on fox news in the early 2000s i'm just asking the question well uh, yeah, question. yeah i mean yes it did work twice because in doing this uh Grizz great silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast series. Almost every single one of the guys we've interviewed is from Montana, and the ones that oh, aren't. See, I are thought from... we were talking just Bobby Houck. No, I I agree that. Oh, it okay, twice. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, oh, just Bobby yeah. Houck for sure. Just Bobby Houck. But, but, but like Don Reed said, like this is the thing: is Houck gets a lot of credit for recruiting Montana kids and developing them, but that's a Don Reed thing. That's mm-hmm. a Don Reed, Jerome Sowers, Craig Paulson. Yep, thing. absolutely. And, I, and, and, and Bobby had a lot of those guys as his influences and even a couple of those guys on his staff when he did it again. But, like, that was absolutely a Don Reed thing. And then a Mick Enney and Joe Glenn thing. It was a formula that had been in place. Wait, what's the alternative to this method? Like, who has had well, – Travis, Travis Secure recruits guys, big time guys from Seattle and Oakland who but, I think buy that, but on the football field though, like like Bob Stitt, I, I mean, obviously complete system change that just you know produced a, a winning season, but not enough uh, otherwise. But I mean, like he always believed or just I want to go and get athletes. Uh, I don't care if they're from Montana or wherever, but um 
uh, maybe maybe not the best example, but and boy, uh, did we miss on some Montana athletes. Luke, you were about woo! to say something. You got that. Sorry, yep, go ahead. Yep. Bobby, sorry. One, I would say Micah did work. Okay. <laughs> because we are one of the biggest, most exciting destinations in college football. Like, even if we don't win a national championship, like being in this rarefied air is extremely exciting. And you can tell by all the people that come to our games. We are or we were? We are. We still are. Ooh. Season tickets were dropping. Even before this, they ticked they ticked back up in in last full season. Yeah, that, haven't that, won the conference in a decade. No, no, no. But I think that um, those are me- those are those are awesome metrics that we should pay attention to. But even with a decline in season ticket sales, we still like quadruple up most teams at the FCS level. <laughs> yes, um, you are correct. <laughs> So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think Bobby's uh, ma- magic sauce is his ability to develop players. Um, I don't yeah. know if it's like whether they're Montana kids or out-of-state kids. I don't think it really matters. I think he's a player developer. Um, and I, I think we're going to see that. Yeah, and I do too. I mean, I'm just trying to kind of trying to play devil's advocate a little bit for the conversation, but I mean, obviously you could tell that they've gotten better progressively during the the entirety of his second tenure here, but there've been some hiccups, you know, like that blowout that you and I sat and watched at MSU. I mean, two years in, I mean, that, that shouldn't happen. But the thing that I kind of get frustrated with is like, yes, you're right. He is a player, player developer. And I have no doubt we will be more technically sound every year than we were the year before. And the depth we will build, we will be better for it in the coming years than we were the previous year, right? You know, he will build better rosters. The whole stit recruiting method didn't not work because it's a bad idea. It didn't work because stit turned out to be a bad football coach. There you go. So, I mean, it's like, this idea that we like and, and coach how i mean they do it they all do it they mix good out-of-state players but i think that to look at north dakota state i mean that team has more out-of-state players than they have in-state players and it's a different world they're close to minnesota they've got a lot of minnesota guys but but my point is that i we were just talking about this with like are there too many sentinel spartans in the recruiting class this year it's like we need to make sure that we're not too wrapped up in the belief that we can overcome things just by Montana guys. Rather, we need to find the right guys and know that if we, we can find gems in Montana guys, if we give them the right chance, that's all. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, one thing I think too, it's like, (laughs) Luke is pissed off. Luke is Luke. Okay. I'm going to, I have a point I want to make, but I'm going to let Luke just like dive into Mike right now. Luke go. No, no. <laughs> I wish I wish the viewers could see the, the, the screen. Um, now, Coulter, first phenomenal question: Like, are we actualizing the full potential of our facility rebuild because we don't maybe key on as much out-of-state talent as this sort of rebuild uh, Champion Center could bring? Like, fascinating question. 
Um, I, I think that in terms of football, there are probably a dozen players in every high school class, you know, on average that can contribute. And those players generally get split between MSU and UM. And every now and again, a player gets cherry picked above. Um, and then the rest of the major, major, like big time contributors are out of state kids already. Like it's always been the case. We rarely have, you know, seven starters on each side of the ball for Montana. So what if I told you guys that I thought in terms of an individual talent basis, Bob Stitt was at the same time the greatest recruiter and the worst head coach Montana's ever had. I would oh. buy it a hundred percent. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I would buy it except he didn't recruit every position. Yeah. I was going to say worst head coach worst slash team builder because he didn't recruit every position. He like okay, fell so, in love with the sexy ones. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's dive into the history of the FCS and what it takes to win a national championship. The FCS was Division One AA was started, but listen, Division One AA was started in 1978, and for the first 10 years of Division One AA, the team that entered the playoffs the hottest and/or got the hottest in the playoffs won. And then Georgia Southern established their dynasty. And why were they able to do it? Because they ran the triple option in Georgia, and they had high school programs that were running that system, so they could recruit at an absolutely elite level. Then what happened? Jim Trestle lands at Youngstown State. They have a mini dynasty. In between, you have Idaho and Boise State. But then Montana breaks through, and they become a little mini dynasty. And then mostly, it was either the team that was the hottest or the team that had the best program all the way through the mid-2000s. But then over the last 15 years, who has it been? It's been the teams that have the best programs in terms of the kids that are bought in. And you can talk about the the – definition of what the program was at eastern washington compared to montana none of those kids dreamed about playing in eastern washington but that's the opposite of montana that's also why eastern washington won a national championship and won to went to five final fours in the last 10 years because all those guys were like well screw everybody we didn't get recruited by anybody we have a chip on our shoulder we're all about the red we're all about the inferno and what does the FCS playoffs come down to the last 15 years? Who gets home games? That's it. Like, NDSU has not played outside of Fargo since 2011. Not once. Not once. And they deserve all the credit for getting that home game, those home games. But are they really that great? They don't have a win like Montana had going to James Vass in 2008. I'm not trying to say that Montana's better than NDSU. All I'm saying is they haven't been tested. And they get that caveat because they earned it. Well, Eastern Washington, how many playoff games have they won on the road in the last 10 years? Exactly zero. How many playoff games have they lost at home? Exactly one in the semifinals when Cooper Cup was supposed to win the national championship in 2016. But the point of the story is, though, the level of talent you're going to get is secondary in the FCS to the buy-in to the program, the message of the program. Are you a me-against-the-world guy like at Eastern Washington? Are you a I'm into the program, I'm all about the winning, like at NDSU? Are you all about the Grizz or the Bobcats, like in Montana? That's what it takes. Other than that, it's just lightning in a bottle. 
you just get the hottest team at that time. But most of the time, it's the it's not about the recruitment. I mean, think about this. Here, here's here's the best way I could sum it up. The Grizz linebackers in 2008 and 2009 were guys like Brandon Fisher, Sean Lebsock, Alex Shaw. Not one of those guys is even half the talent of Dante Olson or Josh Buss or these dudes that have been playing the last couple of years. But guess what? They will fucking die for the Montana program, and they went undefeated. Because that's what it's all about. Like Brandon Fisher is nowhere close to the athlete that Josh Buss is. But Brandon Fisher was first team all big sky because of his ability to dedicate himself to the team and to win. And that's that's where Bobby Houck is so brilliant. He can get a bunch of dudes who aren't necessarily the most talented, splice them in with some dudes who develop into great talents. But it's not about the recruiting, it's about the program. Okay. You know, do you think the Big Sky Conference is better today than it was in 2008? That's such a good question, man. Your your now former colleague asked Bobby Houck that at his opening press conference, and and Bobby didn't think uh, Bobby didn't think anything had changed. Yeah, so I I think it's both. I think they got one hand Bobby's broad premise that the fact that Montana's not on top is the biggest difference in the big sky because I think when he when it comes to resources, dedication of the program, tradition, and support, Montana has no excuse to be anything but the top of the big sky. And I'll I'll always preach that in football, men's and women's basketball, period. Expectation of excellence, that's what it should be at Montana. I think that that's absolutely what it has to be when you have the tradition Montana has. That said, when Bobby Houck was coaching the Big Sky the first time around, it was uh, you know Steve Mushagian and Scott oh, Dowling wow. and and uh, you know and Eastern wasn't the program it is now. It, it wasn't much the program less, it is now, right? Much like, less but, there being two non-Montana University of Montana Big Sky conference teams in a semifinal. I mean, yeah, I mean, unequivocally, wrong. it's yes whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Exactly, right? Like, I mean, Rod McBride, who used to be the head coach at Utah for years and years, they set the table for Urban Meyer, but then decided to retire at Weber State. Like, he'll go in the back alley and have a barroom brawl with you, but he's not going to out-coach you. Steve Mushegian is no fucking Troy Taylor. Like, Jay Hill is one of the elite coaches in all of small school college sports, period. Ed Lamb set the table at Southern Utah. I mean, when Bobby was here the first time, Southern Utah was a D2 school running the triple option. That ain't the case now. Like, Bobby Houck's biggest rival in the big sky, besides Mike Kramer, probably was Tim Walsh. Well, Tim Walsh, when he was at Portland State, he finished second three times in Bobby Houck's seven years in the big sky. Well, then Tim Walsh went to Cal Poly and built that thing into a playoff program. So, like, it's just on down the line. Like, the, the big sky's different than it was when Bobby was there, and the co- quality coaches are so much better in some places. Like, I don't know if NAU was any better than they were under Jerome Sowers. I tend to think no. I don't think Eastern Washington's any better under Aaron Best than they were under Bo Baldwin. I, I, I tend to think no. But the programs in the league, they weren't relevant, really, when Bobby was in the league the first time around. And now – they are. It's not only that they're relevant, but they've tasted success. The Grizz denied everybody success for so long. But now 
I mean, here's the truth. Every single team in the Big Sky Conference, besides Idaho, Idaho State, and Montana, have won the Big Sky officially by NCAA standards over the last 10 years. Idaho, Idaho State, Montana, those are the only three schools that have not won the Big Sky in football officially over the last 10 years. Every other school in the league, including North Dakota that's not even in the league, at least shared a league title. How many of those teams made it to the quarterfinals in that time period? That's that's a great question. Because Southern Utah got a buy into the quarters one year, but then got the but got their asses beat by Weber State, who didn't get well, a buy. They wouldn't have got a buy into the quarterfinals. They would have got a buy into the second round. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. They they got the seventh seed. Yeah. No. The first the year that Southern Utah was so good in 2015, they yeah. should have been the, they should have been the playoff seed. But Portland State got it because of all their national momentum because of their mm-hmm. two FDS wins. But that and Southern Utah team was uh, they did promptly yeah. lose everybody to Iowa. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that kind of that's the flip side of this Bobby argument is like I can sit here and be frustrated, but and and I get pissed off whenever stupid cat fans talk about it. But it's like the, the Grizzlies were one of the top eight teams in the, in the league or in in the whole division. Oh, dude, top eight? Seasons. What do you mean top? They were one of the top three teams in the in the country for the duration of Bobby's tenure too. That's no, the whole thing. Is like, I'm talking about this, la- this season, like the, oh, for, like, for, for sure, for sure, for sure. And they also drew a bad matchup in Weaver State with a bad environment with the rain and all that stuff. But like, I mean, I, I, yeah. At the end of the day, like I know there's this. I know a lot of you guys as listeners come from eaters, and there's this whole debate over whether Bobby can win big games or not. I know Bobby's 0-3 in national championship games, but, like, get the fuck out of here if you don't think Bobby can win big games. Bobby won, like, 25 playoff games his, his, his seven years of Montana. I mean, they won a lot of big games in his tenure. So I, I think I, his, his biggest playoff win away, though, was that upset of JMU yeah. in his second season. 100%. On the road. 100%. I mean – that was huge. That was in 08. Yeah, 2008, that road. That road. And JMU was number one in the country, weren't they? I think they were. Big. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Number one in the country, Rodney Landers. That was the most hype I ever was in my entire college life. All my roommates played for the Grizz at that moment. We And we couldn't go, obviously, so we were watching on TV. That was the craziest that we ever got, man. That was and then so I went sweet. and watched us lose to, was it Richmond? Rich, Richmond. Yeah. I, Yep. After they won that game, we got in a Cadillac and we drove from Missoula, Montana to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and watched them get whipped by Richmond. Most depressing <laughs> 48 hours of my entire life. Uh, oh, we don't need to live down this. Brent, anything else on the Twitter questions? Only other thing, Silver Tip Nation just points out with Tutel leaving uh, Coulter's podcast and show, uh, which one of the three of us would be best to take place. And if put in a cage fight style death match to the side, who would come out on top? And uh, Bear Tycoon of the Montana Mint uh, Sports uh, Conglomerate points out that uh, Luke would be best as replacement, but Mike would win in a cage match because Mike fights dirty. Which, to me, I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. I think that there's some jealousy with that guy in the Montana Mint family. And why he wants to keep me down, I don't know, but I'm not going to let him. And on that note, Parlay, I saw his little thing, but I don't know why Parlay would care if we would uh, want to bring on Ryan Thornburg from the R&R Catcast. 
onto the show because he's my favorite uh, cat podcaster. So same, same. Yeah, I don't know. Um, couple egris questions. Um, this is actually a good one, and I would I would be willing to be part of this, Coulter. Um, uh, however, you say this. How how is P E A U X? Oh, it's like French. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it an R O U G E. It's like, yeah, Poe, Poe, po. you're good, yeah, Poe, whatever. Um, Coulter, when can we expect the oral history of the 2010 UM versus Weber basketball championship game? Yeah. Oh man, uh, that would be a don't, don't worry podcast. Don't worry, don't worry. It's on my list. I like the oral history needs to be uh, the typed out quotes because then it lasts forever. Anybody can read it any time. You can read five times faster than you can listen, but uh, it's on the list. Don't don't worry. Uh, Excellent. It'll probably, be, it'll probably be within the next Grizz Greats uh, podcast series, only if Berkshire Hathaway sponsors it. Now, oh, wait a minute now. When do we real estate can sponsor it too? Come on. Split it. Split it. Split it. Oh, hey now, hey now. Uh, I will. The, I will add one quick thing. 2010. I think I drank like 15 cans of Keystone Light, uh, <laughs> trying to study for some random thing as I was working on my business degree again. And uh, that was uh, that game was the most incredible men's hoops game to watch uh, outside of maybe a few others I can think of I saw in person. But man, I drank a lot of Keystone Light that night. <laughs> That all I remember, I mean, I remember a ton about that game, but one of the big things is it reinforced my um, bad sports superstitions because I was watching the game with my dad and we were losing so badly at halftime. I said, I can't watch this with you. I need to go watch it somewhere else. (laughs) And I went back to my apartment and watched us win. So, (laughs) what a deal. There you go. all right, next question from Sackett66. Um, who is the best high school play-by-play announcer in Montana, and why is it the good-looking guy from the Hawks and the Raptors? I'm kind of assuming you know this guy, Coulter, because otherwise this is a weird question. Here's the uh, – here, he'll get this if he listens to, uh, you know, <laughs> an hour and three hours, hours into this. His yeah. hour and 40 minutes into it. Um, we'll call we'll call him the dad and uh the 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 boy and the girl are very proud of him and i'm proud of him too (laughs) oh good god okay (laughs) um let's see we kind of already touched on this glacier grizz x says could you grade the 2021 recruiting class by need seems like we're light at offensive line and defensive line um, I guess you gotta talk player. Any any needs that jump right out at you? Well, it seems like off the top of my head, there's hardly any offensive line recruits in either the Bobcat or the Grizz class. And I think part of that is the fact that there's just not that many offensive line recruits in the state of Montana. I won't be surprised if some of these recent uh, commits that are assumed at least can't confirm but at least assumed at least preferred walk-ons these small school kids like the kid from savage the kid from white ball hall the kid from red lodge they're all like six five two thirty maybe they turn into offensive linemen 
But, I mean, the big offensive line recruit in the state of Montana was Dylan Rollins from Sentinel, and he's going to BYU. And uh, other than that, not a lot of big-time offensive line recruits. I know the Grizz got Liam Brown out of Portland. Seems like a good get. But, uh, no, you're right. It seems like there is a dearth in this class of offensive linemen and interior defensive linemen. I think both schools got a collection of guys that are pretty versatile in terms of their ability to play multiple spots. Here's the, here's the thing. If you're, if you're, if you're recruited as an athlete, but your number one position on the board is safety. I think that makes you pretty versatile. That means you understand mm-hmm. football and it means you probably could ship other places like Eli Abbey from Laurel is going to cats. He's, an athlete, but he was a safety in college. I expect them that to, or in high school, excuse me. I expect that to be his position in college. Jace Kluswich, he's listed as an athlete. He's probably slated as a safety, but if not, he could play receiver. I think there's a lot of guys in both these classes that are kind of that safety spot that could then transition to something else, particularly because of their football knowledge. So uh, as far as addressing uh, recruits, I think that here's the thing that I think about both these recruiting classes. I think these two schools dove into guys that are pretty regional, that know about the programs, that want to be a part of the programs. And I think that if and when they have other needs, they're going to go address those needs on the transfer wire. Like you, you see hardly any skill guys in these, in these groups. I know the new recruiting coordinator at Montana State, Jimmy Beal, he came from Northern Arizona. So he brought a couple skill guys that are from Arizona that he had already had ends with. But other than that, there's not a lot of skill guys from out of state. I know that Roush, EJ Roush, going to Grizz, Jace Kuswich, he might end up as a skill guy, but mostly it's not those skill guys either. So I think that like the corners and maybe even some of the interior defensive linemen, I think those are going to come either next recruiting class or on the transfer wire. But right now they were pretty much, I think both programs trying to recruit based on guys that fit their program. Makes sense. Um, so, next question from him was, "What's your opinion of the 2021 spring football format? Does any schedule help or hurt? I mean, we don't really think it's going to happen. If it does seem like it's going to happen, we'll have you back on to do a football preview, and we can dive into that more. Um, I think that there there stands to be a format where the best teams don't necessarily make the playoffs because there's a lot of things outside of their control if we actually play, but." Um, are the Cats going to be in the top of the conference or is Weber still the team to beat? Well, Weber State's uh, either won or shared the conference championship three times in a row. Um, They've had definitive question marks come in the last two seasons. I mean, two years ago, they lost the Big Sky MVP on defense and Teron Johnson, he had a pick six on Sunday Night Football last night for the Buffalo Bills. They had multiple borderline NFL players in their front seven, and they were able to replace those guys. Coming into this year, like how do you replace Jonah Williams, who's with the Rams, or Adam Rodriguez, who just absolutely killed the Grizz in the playoffs last year on the edge? I don't know, but that's what Jay Hill's so good at. I mean, he was was voted the Street and Smith College Football Recruiter of the Year two times when he was at Utah, and he's shown that since he's been at Weber. I mean, the lineage is real he's from the urban Meyer coaching tree. Like the dude, I, I just think he is so, so, so talented 
I think that he has no BS. He, he, he is exactly what uh, he says he is. And I think he's a really, really, really good recruiter. And I think that the fact that they've been able to win at such a high level, I mean, win three big sky championships in a row, advance to the, the quarterfinals, of the FCS playoffs, or excuse me, the, the semifinals last year and the quarterfinals three years in a row without being sexy at all. I mean, they've been the most boring Monday, non, non explosive team offensively. Even with that, they've been able to win at such a high level. I think that he's tried and true. Jay Hill's program is, and they have a lot of resource influx and a lot of uh, facility upgrades as well. So I, I think that that, caters to them but as far as who's the favorite in the big sky conference man i'm high on montana state i'm also high on montana i think those are the my my one two even though i do think weaver state's going to be right there as well the thing that's so interesting about the big sky and I, here's a question for you guys obviously a big sky championship a trophy a banner or whatever you want to call it is such great validity for your program but now that the playoff field when it's at its full force is 24 teams and a run to one national championship depends on your draw specifically if and when you have to go to Fargo. Seems to me that winning a big sky championship is is largely secondary. Like Sac State got the bad draw two years ago and they had to play a bad matchup for him in Austin P. And so then all of a sudden the cats make it farther than than Sac State does, even though I mean Sac State took care of Montana State on their homecoming in Bozeman. So, so much of the time it's about the draw. So, I guess my question is, do you feel like the Big Sky Championship still has its validity if the ultimate goal is to win a national championship? I think that there's some some of the realities of football at this level. I think, one, in our stupid conference setup where not everybody plays everybody, I think that Big Sky Conference Championship is always a little bit flawed, um, even though they arrived last year. Um, But, two – you know, as, as much as you hate to say it, if if the NCAA can give programs like Montana or Montana State or James Madison or North Dakota State or, hell, even Northern Iowa, if you really want to play this game, or, you know, a handful of others, a home game, they're going to do everything they can to do it. And I think that that, that makes it easier to give a Big Sky Conference winner like Sac State a shitty draw in my opinion. Um, But uh, my biggest takeaway from your answer and, um, you know, no need to expand on it further is um, Jay Hill's the real deal and Choate's full of hot air. And we all agree. Okay. Um, (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. on. Um, Does our offense look a little different this year without Dalton Sneed? Well, Jesus Christ, yes. Um, yes. But yes. I have no idea because I haven't seen shit. Haven't I don't know it. anything. <laughs> Chris Brown, Big Sky Conference newcomer of the year. Write oh, it down. Oh, oh, I, oh, I know is that Bobby Howe told me in an interview sometime in the last calendar year uh, between football games, I don't know, but he said, hey, the breaking news is Montana's rolling the triple option, book it. <laughs> oh my god wow. and he said that on the radio on live radio so uh they're obviously not gonna but i i have no clue i have not seen the grizz play football live and in person since you guys were at the rainy game in weaver state that's it i haven't seen them play at all i have no clue no clue what they're gonna do Whew. 
We'll see. Um, any indication on fan amounts for spring 2021? We already talked about it. Like right now, it's none. Um, and what do you think this year's biggest weakness is for the Grizz? How do you think they'll solve it? We kind of talked about that. I mean, well, they got to fix the QB. They got to find a QB and they need to fix depth on the lines. Um, so I think we're good there, in my opinion. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I mean, I, I think that the fact that the, the Grizz D line is a question mark is a benefit to them. I think they have an unbelievable amount of talent, and I think that Barry Sachs – I remember Hero Sports had the, their series of uh, all the reasons why and all the reasons why not. These seven teams will win the FCS National Championship. And the Grizz, all the reasons why or why not, the Grizz will or will not win the FCF Championship through Hero Sports, the number one thing was the Grizz defensive line. Unknown players, unproven, yada, yada. Well, I saw Barry Sachs the day after that article was published. And I said, hey, coach, you see that, uh, see that article on Hero Sports? And he goes, no. So I pulled up on my phone. I showed it to him. He said, send it to me. I'm printing it out. Put it in the locker room. <laughs> he, said, he said, if they think our D-line's not going to be good, they're wrong. They might not know them, but our D-line's going to be nasty. And I know Milton Mamulo's gone, but uh, th- that's the thing that they've done is they've thrown a bunch of young guys in the fire, and I think that that position group could be really, really good. As far as, like, what their weaknesses are, I don't know. I mean, that's why Bobby Houck and his staff are so good is they know how to – they're better at addressing weaknesses and being realistic about it. So many coaching staffs buy into guys and they want to just ride it out until those guys utterly fail on game day. Hauk knows how to identify and say, this guy can't cut it and or make a move like moving Justin Calhoun to corner. Like I'm not going to let this other dude do it. Let Justin Calhoun do it. He'll at least compete. But I think the Grizz with their transfers at corner, their influx of talent at the defensive line. I mean, I think that they've addressed all their weaknesses. So I don't really know, where you could point to as being a, a definitive weakest. I, I think that what Nuge said is probably right. I, it, it's depth, both lines and the running back spot. But other than that, I think front line, I think that they're pretty darn good. Yeah, I think depth's a big one. And I think that's something we got to remember. This is only year three. It's interesting. Um, okay, last set of questions from uh, Coeur Grizz. They're always entertaining. So here we go. First one specifically for you, Coulter. When you interview Coach Cho, how many Nickelback and or Limp Biscuit songs does he make you listen to before starting the interview? <laughs> oh, it's such a good question. That's so funny. Um, as uh, as much as full of hot air as you guys think Cho is, I don't think he has it. I don't think he has any time to listen to music. I think he's. I, I think. Look at this photograph. <laughs> I, think, I think I think he's too busy like riding around his boat Lake Coeur d'Alene like thinking about his next 20 minute unbroken press conference you think the dude is riding around on a boat not listening to music have you seen this guy in public that guy's <laughs> listening to music he's got a fucking eagle American flag shirt much like Brent Wahlberg <laughs> And oh my god. There's probably hey now, hey now, hey now, hey now. Calm down. <laughs> okay, follow up. <clears throat> the Grizz win a national championship in 2021, but you have to date Liv Cowherd for five years. 
And that means Colin Coward moves in with you two, and you have to call him dad. Like, oh he can tell you to go mow the lawn and clean God. your room, and you have to follow his directions or you'll be grounded. Are you oh taking my God. the deal? Oh, my God. This is such a loaded question. question Brent and I the... are married, so Luke and Coulter, one of you guys is going to have to take yeah, one for yeah. the team. We're out. I mean... I'm actually googling pictures of Liv Cowherd. Oh, bro! Oh, bro! You're gonna, you're gonna want to be in. I promise. That's uh, the thing. You, you've got the Liv Cowherd side, but then you also have her dad living with you for five years. Well, the the loaded part of the question is rooting for the Grizz to win a national championship. From a uh, objective journalist point of view, uh, I can't say here nor there. From a businessman point of view and from Missoula native and University of Montana alum, it would be one of the great things in my life if the University of Montana won a national championship. And if that came from the uh, the master of uh, one-man radio living at my house, if it came with the caveat that I could uh, have the inside track to marry his daughter, I'm, I'm taking it. Okay, okay. Coulter, Coulter. Right now, give us your best Colin Cowherd impersonation. Oh, my God. He's too hard to replicate, man. He's an Eastern Washington Eagle. He's at the same time. Uh, oh, man, do the, like, don't you think it's interesting? Or something. I don't know. <laughs> Walbert, you're, you're uh, assuming that I actually listened to Colin I was going to say, I could. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sure. I don't. <laughs> I mean, that's like blasphemy. I only listen to the commercials on the Confederate station. Huh. Luke, you have had time to uh, Google Liv Cowherd. You in or out? Oh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, this is done. Yeah. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like in the in the hierarchy of Cordelaine Grizz questions, this was pretty simple. This ain't no rollerblading for a year. Well, <laughs> and, and, and what Cordelaine Grizz doesn't understand is because of my uh, – real desire to cultivate my online multimedia company that covers the big sky conference combined with the fact that the fucking Grizz and the cats both missed the playoffs most years since I launched the thing. I was in Cheney the whole fucking time during November and December. So I know all sorts of shit about Eastern Washington. Where'd Colin Coward go to school? Eastern Washington. Five years of Colin Coward living in my house. Okay. I got a year and a half worth of Cooper Cup that I could distract him with. Just think, though. I mean, like, daughter's hot, like, rich family, and you can watch sports with the father-in-law. Like, this is a win-win-win. Well, the only place place you (laughs) erred there, the only place you erred there, Luke, was thinking that they're rich just because Colin Coward's famous. I promise you, just because you talk on the radio doesn't mean you're rich. Well, but he signed a he signed a big contract with Fox Sports Radio. They, he's one of the few that did. He's, he makes millions of bucks a year. Yeah, he, you're right. He probably does. You ruined my joke about how guys that sell real estate in Missoula make more money than radio guys. <laughs> he makes more than anyone in Missoula right now. <laughs> There's a few people out there. A few. <laughs> Got nothing. All right. Hey, guys, anything else for Coulter while we've, we've had him for, Jesus, three hours? <laughs> I'm good here. Luke, anything from you? Just, hey, thanks a lot, Coulter. I appreciate you giving us your time this evening. Add some oh, legitimacy man, it, to this a, floundering it's a podcast. Pleasure. It's a pleasure.
<laughs> awesome. Well, I don't know when the next time is, but uh, if we know you, we'll talk to you sooner. If not, we'll catch you next time. Go Grizz. Right on.